Kevin, this is like home away from home for you. Actually, this is kind of the perf- the perfect cross-pollination of the identity away from the radio of the two of us, I right? was thinking about that on the drive-in. We are maybe an eight iron away from the turn two suites. Is that correct? Yeah. And we are at the Brickyard Crossing Golf Course on what looks to be another very nice morning here in Indianapolis. And it's going to be a steamy one. We are at the Pacers Golf Outing. Um, it's us, the maintenance crew, and I think the uh, beverage lady just got here. That's right. The um, the maintenance crew had the landscaping tools fired up, man. This and is you were- a lot of morning golf nostalgia for me right now. I worked at Plum Creek Golf Course for about a half dozen years, so... Uh, all the fields coming back. Again, the golf outing later today will what? be joined by Chad Buchanan, Pacers GM, a little bit later. Dan will be out here um, as well. What ages did you, from what ages did you work at a golf course? So I caddied a little bit at Sagamore and Crooked Stick. Probably, gosh, my parents probably started dropping me off for that at 13. Probably like 13 to 16 I did that. And then once I got my license, I worked at Plum Creek from, yeah, sophomore year of high school. And then I would do it in the summers when I came back from uh, from college as well. So about about six years there. And, yeah, this is like – this is pretty peaceful for me right now, to be honest with you. I think the other cool thing about it uh, – again, we're at Brickyard Crossing here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen and – this is it's still early enough in the morning that it's kind of the the nighttime in terms of the FedEx planes, and this is right in their flight pattern, and so like if you just look out, you can just see oh, sure. the planes yeah, yeah, lined yeah. up waiting to come in, which is kind of cool. But that's, that's a great point. Uh, can I raise my hand and admit a rookie mistake I made driving down here this morning? Uh, can I guess? Sure. You left too early, and we got here too early. I left too early. Okay. And as I'm passing Marion, Coffin Golf Course, going down Cold Spring, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I got time to go over to Long's. Didn't bring cash. I think I've got a $20 bill. Okay. In my wallet. Walk in there. Reach for my wallet. I think I'll get a dozen donuts. I know we've got Devin. We've got Cam, Sienna out here as well. I, you know, I wanted to make sure we got about a dozen donuts. What do I have, Jake? I've got four $1 bills. <laughs> so here I am with a bag of Long's Donuts, and unfortunately, I ate one as soon as I got in the car, and there's three of them, and there's what? There's four of us, five of us, well, I guess? Well, I'll tell you what. I had the, mine, so I'll let you guys divide up the other three. I got news for you. At being Now being 50 years old, the old metabolism train is slowing down, so I'm going to let the young bucks enjoy. I, I, there's nothing better, though, man. I thought I saw you have a donut yesterday. I did have a donut yesterday. But. Not to... You can only have on you, but no, you can only have one a week, right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, as soon as she handed me the bag, I'm like, oh, I'm such an idiot. This oh. the longs are just so. I mean, they're unbelievable, right? And Longs you know what? Real. Last night, Kevin, uh, I was out at Victory Field for our annual Robin Miller, the Friends of Robin Miller get together. Robin Miller, the Indianapolis Star, used to do. Uh, I say used to. I mean, when Robin was was still with us, he would organize every year. A get-together night. He, th- there were two things we do every year that Robin would put together for all the guys that worked at the Star. And it didn't matter how peripherally, a la me, or how actively, you know, Tom Reitman, the Benners, you were involved in the Star. Robin would invite everybody. And we do an Indians game every summer, and we do a dinner at Iria's every winter. 
So last night was our Indians game, and no one was more famous for bringing Long's Donuts to the group than Robin Miller. So this is a perfect, <laughs> perfect tribute uh, towards Robin. Well, I love hearing that, and I'm excited for today, Jake. I, I'm excited for this Pacers season. I, I, I know that a lot of people um, will simply look at the win-loss record, and that's, to me, it's not going to tell the entire story for what this year is about. Now, it's a very foreign time, I think, for Pacers fans. They're not used to the preseason expectations uh, lacking to the degree that they are. But, you know, to me, Jake, it, it's hope. It's a different direction. It's think, more uh, modern. It's yeah. a new era. It, it checks all those boxes for me. I think that's the big thing, right, is there are two ways to look at a 30-win team. One is just a mix and match of, of roster where you just say, like, what are we doing here? And, and the Pacers have been in that situation before in the past. I mean, you know, and then there's another where you don't know what the win total is going to be. But but I'll tell you this. It, it's a really good sign. If you're going to have, like, so let's say a 30-win team, then what you want is for that number to be – exponentially higher than the oldest contributing player on the roster, which is <laughs> which is what is going to be the case for them, right? So, in other words, I, I do think that people know that it's going to be a year where wins may be less frequent than what, you know, you, you get in the years of competitiveness, but that's because it is an extremely young group that has just been put together that has a very bright upside, one would think. And so, this is kind of a rebuild mode, but there are some promising young pieces, and I think that does intrigue people. Two weeks from tonight, the preseason opener. Uh, we're less than a month away from the regular season opener. You just brought up an interesting point. You know, if you're going to win 25, 30, 35 games, you want to make sure that everybody on your roster is younger than that total. I, I look at this Pacers team, and we've talked so much about the young pieces, and you know, I think our listeners certainly know my affinity for Benedict Matherin and what he can be at the NBA level. What about Miles Turner? What about TJ McConnell? What about Daniel Tice? Yeah. If you look at the four most, Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald is still a pacer. Like if you look at the four most expensive pacers, it's those four. Are any of them here next year? Are any of them here in February? That's the other element to this season. That's not about development for Matherin. You know, what does Halliburton look like as, you know, continuing to kind of hand him the ball and say, you are our centerpiece of this rebuild. You know, do you see any signs from Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson or maybe even an Aaron Neesmith of like, okay, you know, this is a potential starter moving forward. Those veterans, like how much you play them, how much they contribute. Are they a part of any sort of future? Do you move them at the deadline? That's the other, I think, major storyline to watch you, here this um, season. You know, when you – and asking or, or speculating about trades, which – like, you, you should just ask Chad Buchanan that. Yeah. Just ask him flat out. Like I think I will. Are these yeah, guys yeah, going to yeah. be here? Yeah. And Chad's pretty candid with us. Yeah. Yeah, I think back to when Chad came on late June with us and you asked him very directly about Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner – Jake, I think his answers played out how yeah, his you're right. words he was led to those right. actions. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we walked away from the interview saying, Malcolm Brogdon will not be here next year, and they will continue to listen to trade offers for Miles Turner, but they're open to seeing Turner with Halliburton. Correct. And here we are, 
you know, a handful of days away from training camp starting, and that's what the roster looks like. So it'll be primarily kind of a Pacers-focused show. We'll obviously sprinkling uh, a decent amount of Colts conversation, too. Stephen Holder's going to join us at 8 o'clock. Uh, I know Mark Dykton was thrilled to see the announcing crew for Colts and Chiefs on Sunday, right, Mark? <laughs> oh, my God. I wanted it to be Spiro Ditas just to just to piss you off. <laughs> Is this the first Tony Romo? Colt game it's the first I can remember is I feel like there's been one other but I just can't think of it is Patrick Mahomes the Steph Curry of the NFL yeah like he's the draw right I mean he is the straw mixing the drink because if you look at the Sunday slate don't you think Romo Nance should be on Bill's Dolphins I would think that Romo Romo Nance feel like now the Patrick Mahomes you know, touring band, right? So Nance Sims used to follow wherever Peyton or Brady went. We'll go Peyton one week, we'll go Brady the next and flip it. Now is it we'll go where Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes goes? That's probably right. Although it doesn't feel like Buffalo really has the cachet just yet. Boy, I I think it's building. You know one thing about Buffalo that that I really like? They got really clean-looking uniforms. They you do. know, the, the, those blue, like the white helmets, they're just, they're just cool, man. I was talking to my brother-in-law last night who actually has been to a Colts-Bills game in Buffalo. And I think why I just love the Bills so much is because, to me, Jake, it's a college atmosphere around that stadium pregame. There's a feeling of just a, you know, what's the population size of Buffalo? Yeah, for sure. That's just rare well, that's, in professional Kevin, sports, and I think it's what you love about the NFL. It's probably what you don't love about Major League Baseball and the limited amount of parity that you have in that league due to the salary cap. But the NFL, you've got that, and but this is what teams drives like me Buffalo crazy. and Green Bay can compete at that level. What drives me crazy about, I'll be candid, about the Colts was this narrative, and you don't hear it out of the Colts as much anymore. But the narrative of the the whole thing of, well, you know, it's, it's just we're at a disadvantage because of our market size. Bill Polian was a huge, huge, huge stater of that. I mean, when it came to the new stadium, we need a new stadium because it's just too difficult in our market size. We're at a disadvantage. Da, da. What? I mean, the, yeah, I don't, the, I, that doesn't really add up. They lost me. a Super Bowl to New Orleans after half the population had left because of Katrina. Green Bay is one of the most consistently good teams in the NFL. Buffalo right now is probably the best team. If not, then maybe it's Kansas City, all of which are smaller television markets than Indianapolis. You have revenue sharing. You have a salary cap. Pretty simple formula, right? Live here at the Pacers golf outing. We are, I believe, now up on YouTube. There is stream. nothing better, Kevin. I know I just interrupted you, but I just have to say this. There is nothing better. I know I'm biased. There is nothing better than watching on a clear morning the sun rise over the grandstands of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah. As, I would, as you were, my apologies. No, I would agree with that. And you know what? We missed out on it during Carb Day, right? Because the first hour we were indoors for Carb Day due to the weather. That's right. That's right. And then we went outdoors for the 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock hour. So just outside of turn two, posted up here at certainly one of the premier golf courses in the state of Indiana. I think Roger Penske has big plans for trying to make this one of the more premier golf courses, I think, around the United States. So the Pacers golf outing is today. Chad Buchanan, GM of the Pacers, is going to join us. A little bit later, uh, the Colts get back to practice this afternoon. We'll obviously see the injury situation with Michael Pittman. Is Shaquille Leonard any closer to making his 2020 do, 2022 debut? 
Uh, Jake, does a win cure all on Sunday? It doesn't cure all, but it certainly helps, right? I mean, here's the funny thing. The Colts are 0-1-1. If you were to – listen, I I mean, I was a part of – I mean, I, I wasn't on the roster, but, you know, I was working, as I know you were, I think, actually in the building – in the what did they start out in the the painter year, the suck for luck year? Well, boy, that was Owen twelve, right? Thirteen, something like that. Something like that. No, I mean maybe even deeper than that. I think they won like a Thursday nighter in December. Like Josh Freeman came in, or maybe Dan Orlovsky. Orlovsky, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I was around for that. I was around during the Paul Justin Owen ten start. I mean, I remember that. You know, knock knock, who's there? Owen, Owen who? Owen ten. I mean, so I've seen, and that's what it feels like. Like, I go anywhere, and people are coming up to me and like, dude, like, what, what is going on with the Colts? What are they, they may go 0-7. Oh, you know, it's like, well, I mean, I'm telling you right now, and this is the last, literally, like, my, my last straw. Like, this for me, I am saying to the Colts right now, if you don't win this Sunday, we are going to turn this car around, and we are not going on vacation this year. It, th- this thing, I still believe that we're in the proper lane here. And if you don't win this Sunday, I am turning this thing around, and that's it. So this is their warning. This is their last effort with me, their last hope, their last benefit of the doubt for me. But I think they're going to win Sunday. Really? Yes. And that's no disrespect to Kansas City, who I know is an absolutely phenomenal team. You get some good money on that. Six-and-a-half-point underdog right now, the Colts. But I think the Colts... I do think the Colts, it would be so Colts, would it not? Like, that's what they do. You know, just when you count them out, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait a minute. These guys, like, actually have some life in them. And I think they win Sunday. The suck for luckier, the Colts started the season 0-13. Yeah, and was it back-to-back wins they got? Yeah, Texans, Titans, Titans. Yeah, they almost screwed it up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Reggie Wayne had a big touchdown late in the season. Jake, you know, on paper, you have half of the blueprint to neutralize Patrick Mahomes. The half would be Jonathan Taylor. Right. And the ability to play keep away. You think back to that 2019 win over Kansas City. Yes, Mahomes was hobbled in that game, but Marlon Mack carried the ball 30-some times in that game for 150 yards. And the Colts dominated time of possession. They had these long drives. They had one drive that I think moved like 30 yards in 14 plays. I feel like I was watching Navy. Uh, on that Sunday night football <laughs> win that they got. Um, so that's half the blueprint. The issue that I have is the other half of it. Can your four-man rush get home? You've played eight regulation quarters. Obviously, you had the overtime with Houston. Jake, you've played eight quarters, Houston and Jacksonville, and your defensive line has as many sacks as you, you or I. That's an issue. Because when you play Mahomes, that's what works. A four-man rush that causes a little bit of disruption and you're dropping seven into coverage, and Mahomes has got to sit, and he's got to pat the ball, and he's kind of a gunslinger, so he's going to force he's the ball. definitely balls. that. And I just have seen zero semblance of that in the first couple of weeks. Again, Taylor has flash, certainly, week one, um, but it's the other half of that blueprint. And, you know, Kansas City, 10 days off. And doesn't Kansas City have a little bit of a psyche after watching Buffalo Monday night saying, we can have no let-up? Remember, it's just one seed gets a bye now in the playoffs. It's not two seeds get a bye. The number one seed's the only seed that gets a bye. So if you want home field and you want that bye, you've got to be the number one overall seed. And Buffalo, to me, showing no signs 
of well, you know, up. the other thing that's interesting, to your point with that, if you are Kansas City, or actually, let me rephrase that, the other side of that, if you're Buffalo, the thought was at the beginning of the year, and I, again, I know we're only two weeks in here, but the thought was like Buffalo's really, really good, and they had the advantage over a Kansas City in the fact that they were not in the AFC West, which is stacked, right? But the AFC East, Kevin, might be more competent and and competitive than we thought, right? Yeah, I, I thought Miami could do this, but it was impressive to watch what they did to Baltimore on Sunday. I, I mean, I, Miami is good. I, and, I, I mean, hell, look at the Jets. They don't look like the laughing stuff. That's I what mean, I mean. You know, flat in, in Miami, listen, I, I'm not sitting here saying Miami's ready to make that leap and put themselves into like a top three seed type thing. But Miami is a team that no longer, when it's on the schedule, do you look at and go, yeah, that's probably a win. They might have finally gotten one foot out of that 9-7 and seven quicksand that is so hard to get out of, right, that they've been in. For, they've been in that sand trap for like 10 years. Jake, to your earlier point, I think this is a really good comment here from Riley. The start to the season reminds me of the 2015 year, Frank Gore, Andre Johnson. So much hype turned failure. Boy, that's you're not lying there. Do you I remember mean, that first game uh-huh. at Buffalo? I just remember with both those guys, it was like now Frank Gore obviously had a little more leg in him, but Andre just Johnson, gone to the AFC title the year before. Yeah, and I mean, they were the Super Bowl darling. They were the Chargers of this year. They were. That's right. And, and yeah, I think to Riley's point, and I, I was trying to, I've been trying to make this, I guess, a little bit on in Monday and Tuesday shows. That to me is the disappointment, Jake. Of you know, you rattle off the suck for luck season. You talk about, you know, Paul Justin and those years. Those years didn't have the expectations that this year had coming into it. Totally. And the fact that you've lost to, again, two teams that are perennial bottom feeders in the NFL, and for the large chunk of those eight quarters, you've been outplayed. That's what adds to the taste. And I'm with you. Yesterday I went to the grocery, ran into someone there, and yet you would think the Colts are 0-14 right now. By the way, we can see ourselves on the camera here. My face looks very fat, doesn't it? Is that the donut yesterday? Yeah, you know, I've just gotten this dad bod, Jake, where I got like triple, quadruple chin. I look at my wedding pictures and think, man, I've put on some weight since then. So I I, I try not to worry about it. I already have my donut. Cam, Sienna, Devin, feel free to chime in with the donut. Jake's not even sniffing the bag. Oh, I'm sniffing it. Trust me. Long's Donuts here. Rookie mistake. If you missed it earlier, I had four four one dollar bills. I probably could have gone to another establishment. I was going to say you could have gone to Wild Cherry down there on Sixteenth, right? You know, and probably use those four dollars elsewhere. Uh, <laughs> looks like a beautiful day at the Brickyard Crossing Golf Course. Hey, you were spot on, Jake, about the planes just right. I over told us. you, it's it's unbelievable. Those are all FedEx planes just coming in. I mean, like, you know what's crazy is if you, I think this is right. If not, it's going to be right because I'm going to say it on the radio. <laughs> if you live at 56th and Meridian. Hey, I kind of live in that area. If you FedEx something to 71st and Allisonville, I think whatever it is that you FedEx goes to Louisville, gets sorted, gets on a plane, and comes back to Indy. Really? Land, I, I think that's right. The logistics of that. But the, just the, the amount up. of stuff that is coming in from FedEx on airplanes at night is unbelievable. This is like the second largest. I said Louisville for FedEx. It might be. I think it's Memphis. But this is like the second largest. FedEx hub in the country, I think, behind only Memphis. UPS is Louisville. The Grizzlies arena, right? FedEx form? Yep. It used to be um, 
You know, I always I always thought this was a missed opportunity. You know that Memphis Pyramid they used to play in? Yeah, sure. I thought that should have been sponsored by Amway. <laughs> Amway did Orlando's. I thought Amway doing the Pyramid would, would have been perfect. Yeah, maybe instead of Quack Daddy Donuts hiring you for marketing, maybe, you know, <laughs> Memphis Chamber of Commerce can get you to intern for them. Next I'm, summer. I'm just saying. I'm I, not even going to jump on the word quack there. I just want to I just want to walk over to that first tee box and touch the dew on the tee right now. Do you know that here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, by the way, at the Brickyard Crossing for the Pacers golf outing, and again, we'll talk plenty about the Colts over the course of the morning. Danny Lopez, Senior Vice President of Marketing for the Pacers, going to join us shortly. But do you know that this area of the, the golf course itself – Kevin, just in front of us, there are a couple of trees, but there are also two of them inside the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. There was one that was lost to lightning um, about three years ago that was an original tree from when Carl Fisher bought the property here back in 1909. Did you do that story on I, Behind the Badge? I did. Okay. I did. But there were a couple of them that are right here by right by the, the putting greens. I thought that was true. I mean, I've heard some stories where, like, Roger Penske has flown Fred Ridley up here, who's the Augusta national chairman and has said, I want this golf course to be, you know, right up there with yours. Roger Penske being a member down there at Augusta national, that would be the connection there. Now You are an avid golfer. Is it a pretty good course? Oh yeah. I mean, it's one of the best courses in the state. Okay. I mean, it's certainly pricey. It's gotten up there, but we used to play speedway here in a match, the spark plugs in a nine hole match, the Thursday of race week. Oh, that's pretty cool. So seven, eight, nine and 10 are inside the the track so we would end on nine so we'd play seven eight nine and as you know the thursday before the race is a non-track day so you know it's relatively quiet but still just walking under the you we'd walk walk under the tunnel and the seventh tee is one of the cooler par three really one of the par three views frankly in probably all of the united states and uh kind of overseeing the entire oval and just the quietness of it and knowing what it would look like. I mean, hell, 24 hours later at Carb Day, let alone Sunday. Pretty darn cool. Pretty fun time, man. Yeah, yeah, great times. Again, heavy Pacers talk today on Kevin and Query. Dan will be out here as well. I would think Dan will have a few players on, if I'm going to guess. I would think some players will come out for the outing a little bit later. Uh, Chad Buchanan will highlight our lineup today. He's going to join us around 8.30. Again, the Colts are back to practice. Stephen Holder um, at 8 o'clock. We did see one of the somewhat notable roster move for the Colts yesterday that we can hit on a little bit later. Um, and we don't do it too often, but what Aaron Judge is starting to do, Jake, here late in the year, number 60 last night. Uh, what? And then he gets upstaged. 15, 60, yeah, by, his, <laughs> by Mr. Stanton after That's that. Right. Uh, what he's got left with 15, 16 games to go, could he flirt with it? <laughs> Upper 60s? He won't hit 70, will he? So what, Roger Maris up next, and then who? Is it a Sosa year? Sosa's got a couple in the 60s, right? Sosa had two. He had a 66 year for sure. Then then Mac at 70 and Bonds at 73, right? Maris is 61, of course. Maris, yeah, I mean Maris is the big one because you know it's the all-time Yankee record, right? Mm-hmm. right? And, and I think what stands about uh, stands out about Judge right now. He's not juiced out of his mind like everybody else was. Well, sure that. And, and to that point, Jake, you know who's second on the home run list? He's this the season? judge, and I'm the jury on that. What's that? <laughs> you know who's second on the home run list right now in the NFL? Or in, in Major uh, League Baseball? In Major League Baseball? I actually have no idea. Kyle Schwarber at 40 
home runs. Yeah, Think that's about impressive. that. A 20 home run yeah, gap. The this amount is not that you're just hitting it over. the ball is juiced well, that's and what everybody's I, hitting, you know, 50 this that's year. That's what I always said about Maris' 60. In, in the summer of 98, what I always said about Maris' accomplishment that was so phenomenal was it wasn't the number of home runs that Maris hit in 61. And Mantle had, I think, 59 that year. It was the percentage that they were ahead of everybody else. And in 98, don't get me wrong, it was phenomenal what McGuire and Sosa did. But in 98, you know, McGuire hit 70 home runs. You know, like utility guys from the Marlins were hitting 49. Right. I mean, right. it was like, yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly, yeah. Brian everybody. Anderson for the Orioles was hitting 55. Yeah. Yeah. So, Isn't it kind of cool how, like, sunny it now is based off what it was when we started this segment? What, what's more or how light it is? What's more impressive, Stanton having that big of a gap in the home run lead or the Dodgers having a uh, being 58 games over 500? You mean Judge having that big a gap? Judge, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I think it's Judge. Again, because when uh, Jake, I mean, that was a great point Jake made. I mean, usually when you have these huge home run years, there's others around him. There's well, no one around and, him. And he also, I, I think the thing about Aaron Judge that makes his story so compelling is this is not a guy that was the can't miss, everybody knew about him, Bryce Harper level prospect. Right. You know, I mean, he, he toiled around for a while before he got into the bigs. He was not a, he was not a top 10 pick, if I'm not mistaken. So his story uh, alone, and then just the fact that you don't usually see guys that look like they could be an NFL quarterback that are up there swinging home runs. I mean, you know, and it's the Yankees. Yeah, he could play tight end for the Colts. They could use some help there, right? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I still have Moali Cox on my fantasy team. I I had put him in. I thought um, you waiver. Well, I made a waiver claim, and he was going to be the casualty of that. And uh, and then it was awkward because he came in this morning, and I said, you know, listen, I, I know I had you bring in your playbook, but um, – you know, things didn't work out, so we're going to have to keep you here. So uh, he is my Alex Pillow. Oh, very very okay. awkward. Well, yeah. that's a lot of lawyer fees that you'll be dealing with, it sounds like, <laughs> with that. Jim Again. Boyles has been hanging around the house. <laughs> the Pacers golf outing today here at the Brickyard Crossing Golf Course. We will hit on that conversation a whole lot over the next couple of hours. Kevin and Query live here on a Wednesday. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Right now, Major League Baseball, it's all about Aaron Judge. Number 60 last night for him. 15 games to go. Roger Maris at 61. Sosa, I didn't realize he had three of them, Jake. 66, 64, and 63. He did, I thought Sosa did 63 years in a row, didn't he? Or three and four. I was right. at... I went to a game with Dave first, um, probably around 99 or 2000, and Sosa hit two of them, to I think, to go 59 and 60, and that was the second straight year that he hit 60, if I'm Sosa, not mistaken. Sosa hit 66 and 98, which is third most, uh, 64 in 2001, and 63 in 1999. I forget. So he didn't do it in back-to-back years? Well, in 98 and 99 he did, yeah. Oh, gotcha. Okay, okay. I forget the title of it. The other night, Max was sleeping terribly, and I was up with them and uh, watched um, ESPN did one of those 30 for 30s on uh, Sosa and McGuire in that 98 season. Yep. That was great to go back and kind of relive all of that. Uh, by the way, last night, Indianapolis Indians winners. And for the first time in my uh, baseball watching lifetime in, a, in, in person, I've never seen this before inside the park home run. Never really? seen it before. Yep. Now you said for the other team. Yeah, some guy for the Saints hit a liner down the right field line, and the right fielder, I, I think, lost his footing and did a bit mm. of a face plant. And I don't know if he was 
hurt or he was like ashamed, but we're like, well, wait a minute, that dude's not stopping. Well, I think if you want to see an Indians one, though. park home run, you just go to like Allisonville Little League and watch a third or fourth grade <laughs> game, and you'll probably see a bunch. You should have oh, that's that. in the wrong direction, though. You should have bought that outfielder, <laughs> one of those beer bats. Like, hey, no hard feelings. Uh, <laughs> and that is the other breaking news. Uh, they were, I, I don't know if it's because it's late in the year, no beer bats. Uh, oh, Indians, no. by the way, finishing out their home stand. They played today in a businessman special. Final day game of the year, right? And then, yeah, the night all the way through Saturday. Night game. Uh, Colts back to practice today. Yesterday we heard from the coordinators. Here was offense coordinator Marcus Brady on any potential offensive line changes. Right now, no. Um, I mean, we're, we're still evaluating it. Um, and when that decision comes, I mean, you guys will see it. But as of now, we're, we're preparing for Kansas City. Jake, I said this to Stephen Holder yesterday. If Matt Pryor is going to look like that, why not just play the rookie? I would agree with that. I'd agree. Like, if, what do you have to lose, right? If you're going to be mediocre, let me be b- mediocre with the 22-year-old draft pick who doesn't have a ton of tackle experience. You know, he was a tight end initially coming over from Austria. Um, you know, and part of me thought, do you move Pryor to guard? You know, he's got experience there. Maybe bring Danny Pinter as that utility guy. But it sounds like the Colts will – keep that starting five together again Sunday it's a one o'clock kick as we said earlier uh Jim Nance Tony Romo on the call Jaden mentioned to me that Ran- uh, Nance and Romo did a Colts Steelers game a few years ago by the way the air's, getting, the air's getting thick out here oh it's gonna be sticky oh it's, yeah it's gonna be yeah. a warm day we're gonna have Danny golf, Lopez right? on with us in a few minutes he's wearing a long sleeve I'm already nervous for him well he's wearing a long sleeve like totally fabulous and he's from Florida white like irish linen shirt i mean you know what i mean yeah like yeah he looks good college football this weekend what do we got uh speaking of florida florida atlantic right going to west lafayette for a night game with the boilers indiana at cincinnati mark have you seen a line on that last i saw i could have sworn it was like 17 point underdog the hoosiers that's the last i saw i haven't seen it since so might have climbed it might have dropped i don't know Yep, yep, yep. Cincinnati lost to Arkansas to start the year. They beat Miami, Ohio, and Kennesaw State. I mean, Indiana may not win against Cincinnati, but they ain't getting beat by 17, right? I would tend to agree with that. Notre Dame is an underdog. If they only lose by 10, is Tom Allen only going to knock over one trash can, not two? (laughs) He might sprint back across 46. 74 to 46, he might just sprint back. (laughs) That that trash can had it coming. All right, we come back. Uh, Danny Lopez, he is going to join us, the Senior VP of External Affairs and Communications with the Pacers. Chad Buchanan, team's general manager, is going to join us in the uh, 8 o'clock hour. And hopefully Jeremiah Johnson will stop by a little bit later in the show. Again, we're live here at the Brickyard Crossing Golf Course for the Pacers Golf Outing. Kevin and Quarry, 93.5175, the fan. Live here at the Pacers Golf Outing. I said it yesterday. I'll say it again. It's a Roy G. Biv morning here. So we look off. Is that my northeast, Jake? That is correct. Yes. We are several John Daly drives away from Jake's perch on race day. That would be turn three. We can see the turn two suites here. And uh, Pacers golf out again to get underway um, a little bit later this morning. Right now we are joined by Danny Lopez, the VP of External Affairs and Communications for the Indiana Pacers. Danny, good Wednesday morning. What's up, guys? How are you? We are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. It's pretty cool to be out here. I, you know, it's it feels like a summer day, right? It's summer it's golf beautiful. out here. It's like a beautiful. training camp day. Yeah. Do, do do kids know what Roy G. Bibb is? Because I'm I'm pretty sure I asked my kid that one time. He had no idea what I was talking oh, about. Gosh, we're not teaching that in schools. No, Heck, we're not boy. teaching that. So I mean, take out cursive, fine, but Roy G. Bibb's <laughs> well, a that's staple. your guy's job now. 
If they're not teaching it in schools, it's your yeah, job to let them know, right? Exactly, and I was going to exactly say, right. I mean, Jake brought up, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally the other day. Yeah, so that that's good to 86 see. 86 yesterday alive. on the midterm. Nice. Yeah, good 86 job. on the algebra midterm. Thank you very much. Hold your applause. Um, <laughs> Danny, let's talk about, you know, there's a lot going on here. And, you know, first and foremost, and we'll talk to Chad Buchanan later about kind of the roster building, the architecture of building an NBA franchise that people are going to come out and watch, but they've got to have a place to play. And speaking of architecture and building, that's exactly what's been taking place with, you know, with the Fieldhouse, with Cambridge Fieldhouse. And this has been in phases. Where do things stand right now in terms of, you know, a couple of weeks away here from the season starting? So so we are wrapping up phase three. So the last phase of this three-year project. It is the, I don't think, I don't think people around here fully appreciate the fact that this is the second largest renovation project in the history of the NBA. So Madison Square Garden had one. Uh, earlier in the 2010s, and and then this one. So it's a massive project, and we took this building that is iconic, iconic from the outside, has great sight lines, everybody recognizes that, but needed an upgrade, needed some state-of-the-art work, and that's what we've done. And so when people come back, I mean, most of the work that's being done right now that we're finishing up is in the balcony, uh, some in the entry pavilions, but we're doing all new concessions and all new restrooms, and and, and then the uh, sky deck that we're putting in the balcony, which is going to be a standing room only bar up there. You'll be able to look out into the sky into the skyline of Indianapolis, and look down onto the uh, onto the uh, play down below. It's going to be, I mean, there's just some really neat bar spaces that people can gather and network and just have a great time. And it's you know our whole goal was to create experiences within the experience of being at a Pacers game or a concert. And I think we've successfully done that with this. I was going to say, is that the new blend with event venues all around yeah. the U.S. of finding the entertainment balance to whatever is going on on the actual event court? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fans like uh, f- fans like me who like to sit in their seat for three and a half hours and watch the game are really sort of the um, probably getting to be the minority. I mean, mm-hmm. what people want is to come and they want to be you know walking around, they want to be gathering, they want to be standing and watching different things. So we've got LEDs all around the building where you can watch different events. Um, we've got tons of places where you can just, if you, if you brought a group or if you're there to network, you can just connect with people uh, while you're in the experience of the game or the event and then go back to your seats whenever you want to do that. And that's kind of the new, uh, I wouldn't even say new. I mean, I think that's where things have been trending for a while. And so when you built a building in 1999, as good as the bones are, you've got to retrofit it for this kind of experience. And that's what this project has been about. You know, so let's, let's start kind of from the playing surface and move upward. Yeah. Uh, I know last year, for for people that were able to come out to games last year, and people came back, you know, were able to come back out. The lower ring, if you will, the 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 close in seats, those were all. That was a whole different experience, because that those seats were involved with, uh, you know, the, the bar and restaurant that then came with sitting in those seats was the access, you know, all the food and the drinks that come with that. Has that level changed or is that pretty much what we saw last year status quo for this year yeah what we saw essentially that all of that work on the lower level the the, the project um progressed started on the on, on the event level on core level and then work, we worked our way up the gotcha. building okay. and then to the outside of the building with the plaza that's coming online next year so uh so all of that work was really done between 2020 and 2021 the new sideline clubs the new fever locker room and training center that's downstairs training area that's downstairs um, you know, the new entertainment complex for entertainers that are coming to perform. All of that stuff was done in 2020, heading into 2021. And then 21 was really about the main concourse and that mezzanine level, the Creek DeBalt level, um, and upgrading all of all of that. So this this year has been around uh, about the balcony, 
obviously about all the work that people can see going on in the plaza to the north of the building. Uh, some in the entry pavilion that they'll see wrapping up the, uh, you know, the, the box office and everything that's happening, all the glass that's facing downtown. You know, we had that, um, the parking garage that was on Maryland. When that thing came down in 2021, that's, I think, when we, when we really realized and started to appreciate how closed off we were from downtown. And when you took that thing out and you put all of that glass in the entry pavilion uh, and removed the box office, we realized, like, this really opens up the entirety of downtown into the building. So it's a much more, um, it's a much more open environment all throughout, but especially the entry pavilion, the light coming in, it's just a beautiful. And then, you know, we're, we're getting ready to, to roll out an art project that we've been working on with Indie Arts Council. So we took some, not just, uh, not just Pacers moments, but Hoosier hysteria moments, you know, stuff like when we had swimming in there and we had the pools and things like that. And we uh, we put those out for artists to come in and design their art pieces. And so we've got that all around the building, too. There's some incredible pieces. And so when we you know, when we open up the building uh, on October 2nd, we've got Post Malone coming to town. It's going to be a great concert. And when we open up, uh, people are really going to be, I think, surprised at the final project uh, product because it's a it's an amazing facility. The preseason schedule begins two weeks from tonight. The preseason home opener, though, is a little bit after that. And the regular season, we're less than a month away from that. Um, again, Danny Lopez, VP of External Affairs and Communications. He's with us here. We're live at the Pacers golf outing at Brickyard Crossing. Danny, I don't know if there's a question I get more than the whole Bally Sports question. And so for you guys, where is your balance of seeing the attendance numbers where they are, knowing the Bally Sports restraints, frankly, league-wide for a lot of teams, and, and just kind of marrying those for those that want to come to the end game experience, but also when you are away for 41 games a year, you want the viewing experience to be there for your fan base as well. Yeah, so first of all, the in-game experience we think is unmatched, right? So when, as, as you know, we've been dealing a little bit with the, with the hangover from COVID and people's just sort of getting back downtown and getting comfortable with coming back and being in those kinds of environments. So the attendance will will tick up and, you know, and, and as the product, as the team gets better and we've got a, a, a really nice roster, I think, of young talent that, that are going to excite a lot of people. So there's that piece of it. You know, we had the Bally announcement, obviously, uh, here a couple weeks ago. I mean, what we're excited about with that um, with that relationship is that, you know, Bally has created now a streaming product. And so, uh, you know, people can now make a decision whether or not they want to pay the $18 a month or whatever it is, $1.50 a game. To, for, for six months to watch the, the Pacers play. And I think, you know, people are going to decide that. But I, I really do think that um, there are more options than there were last year for people to watch the Pacers play. And, and again, as as I think people around the league, but here in Indianapolis, take note of some of the young, exciting talent that we've got. I think that, the, you know, I think people are going to are going to gravitate towards that. Now, I, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed here, Danny. I know that's shocking. Your, your title, which is an impressive one, I would actually just be dropping my business card around town if I had it. Senior Vice President External Affairs. Uh, those external affairs are what exactly? I mean, the building obviously, but but what, what all does your job entail? So I, I get to do a lot of the corporate communications work for the uh, for the organization. For You know, Pacers Sports and Entertainment is a lot bigger than the Pacers. Obviously, the Pacers are, are such an important thing for this entire city and, and, and piece of our company, but we also have the Fever, we have the Mad Ants, we have our uh, our two K uh, team, and then we have the entity that essentially operates the Fieldhouse and puts on Post Malone and Lizzo and Andrea Bocelli and all the concerts that we have that come through. Which, you know, we do about in a normal year probably five hundred 
or so meetings and events in that building a year, and about two million people come through the door. So all of that, uh, you know, has a, a communications component to it. And then I do most of our external affairs work as it relates to civic organizations, chambers of commerce, state and city government, that type of thing. That's that really consumes most of my time. And then of course working with the Pacers Foundation, which is why this is such a cool thing that you guys are out here. Because you know, I, look as we talked about. I, by the way, this is Cuban linen. This isn't Irish linen. This is Cuban linen. But that <laughs> should have known. Come but, on, now. apologies. <laughs> yeah, it's but, very nice. Right. Yeah, thank you. It I is. clearly it's, knew that, is, by the way. Listen, this is this is what you wear in the heat because it breathes. It's linen, so I'm not. You know, what? I almost said, to be honest with you, I almost said Scarface, but I, <laughs> but I didn't want to get too. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's. But you know, we we kind of take it for granted. I think sometimes we've been here. My wife and I have been here 14 years. I think people. Hoosiers and people who have been here a long time sort of take for granted the fact that we've got sports organizations, you know, not just us, but all the sports organizations, organizations in town that do things like this and are really invested in the community and spend time. It's not just cosmetics, spend time raising money to support things that are that are trying to make life better for, for people that live not just in central Indiana, but around the state. We do that. That's what this is about. Uh, we're, you know, hopefully going to raise a ton of money. We've got some and that money would items. be distributed primarily where. So we do, you know, we do grants. We do things like, um, you know, if you go to Brookside Park, for example, that court we had it completely redesigned. We worked with the NBA. We had uh, somebody actually internally in our shop designed a really cool uh, look for that court. We refurbished it. We've we've done that in the past with community centers around town, where we've partnered with AES, IPL. Uh, we've partnered with the the city. We've partnered with the school districts to come in and refurbish. Because placemaking is a big deal, right? If you if you go into these communities that are so vibrant and are really starting to come back, these kids, and it's not just the kids, young adults or whatever, but they need a place that's safe, that they can go, that they want to be, they want to spend time after school or on the weekends. And so that's a big part of what the foundation does. But we also give grants to educational organizations, to health and safety organizations. We support police training for, you know, implicit bias and other things to try to improve police community relations. Uh, I mean, we do all kinds of things through the Pacers Foundation and the Pacers Foundation is because it's so uh, close knit with the rest of the organization. We have so much overlap. You see it when you walk around here. I mean, so much of our executive team will be here today, uh, you know, interacting with our sponsors, interacting with season ticket holders, uh, because for us, it really is a. It, it, it really is a, a, an environment, a culture of giving, and, and the Pacers Foundation is a huge part of that for us. By the way, I think – is Irish linen a different color? Irish linen maybe is linen that's more of like an off-white. It's, it's, right? it's just not as good because Cuban <laughs> linen is the best right. in the world. I would have just guessed green and orange. Now, does that, is that shirt illegal? No. Is that embargoed? I, I, again, that's for a different show. <laughs> yeah, here. No comment. Um, the All-Star Game, I, I, but all the dates kind of run together, push back 2024? 2024. And so we're, we're, we're so ramping that up. next NBA season. Mm-hmm. We're, we're on deck. Salt Lake City next year and then, and then us. We're ramping those efforts back up. We're going to have some announcements coming here soon, too. Uh, on that, so we're excited about All Star 2024. Where our our goal is to make this, um, you know, essentially do what the Super Bowl did in in 2012 for or Indy Super Bowl for the Super Bowl, and just sort of redefine how the NBA does All Star. That's our goal. Will the, all the events be at Gamebridge? No, there's going to be events all throughout the downtown. So, so, so no, it won't, they won't be all at Gamebridge. But again, like I said, we're going to be making some announcements here soon on that. And then the final one for me, and last year you were very gracious to bring in some, I believe, some city uniforms in studio. Um, alternate uniforms. I know a lot of fans get into that. There's a lot of debate on that. Is there anything that is yet to be announced, or what will that look like? This we season? haven't announced it yet. 
but but there there will be a city edition coming this year. That any I, I any hints as to what could be on or what it might look like? I, I can't give that away, but I will say I, I think people are going to like them. I think it's a it's a nice. Uh, I think they've got some nice elements that uh, that will you know sort of the nostalgia theme that we always do, and we'll we'll pay homage to to where we play and and the city and everything else. You know, if they include actual shoes, you can get some for Eddie White, who's here wearing his flip flops <laughs> this morning. Well, it's hot, so we'll give Eddie a pass. Got his slippers. Socks. I think I'll he's getting what. ready. Yeah, I'm thinking he's uh, got toe warmers. He's, in he's those golfing socks, today. Eddie. He's golfing today. So <laughs> the cigar is out for Eddie White, Danny Lopez, VP External Affairs and Communications. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. By yeah. the way, that cigar is Cuban linen. That's not an Irish linen cigar <laughs> that Eddie has. Just so you know. Just as so it, you know. As Eddie White shakes his head at Jake Quarry. Probably not the first time he's done that in his life. Uh, we'll get back into a little bit of Colts conversation. Chad Buchanan at 8.30, GM of the Pacers. Jeremiah Johnson, Pat Boylan in the 9 o'clock hour. But Stephen Holder will join us next as the Colts get back to practice today ahead of their home opener this Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Kevin and Quarry live here at the Brickyard Crossing for the Pacers Golf Out. And on this, what promises to be warm summer-like late September day on a Wednesday, we're at the Brickyard Crossing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. As a matter of fact, pretty good view of the sunrise coming up over to our right-hand side. Then to our left, you can see to the Pagoda, turn two of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Here for the Pacers Foundation golf outing that gets underway officially into the swing of things, pardon the pun, in just about two and a half hours or so, but joining us now in the Payless Liquors guest line to talk about the Colts and their preparations for the Kansas City Chiefs. You know him from ESPN.com. He has been very busy this week. Stephen Holder and uh, Stephen, this is just going swimmingly well for the Colts so far this year, right? No issues at all. Hey, look at the bright side. It's almost basketball season, for better or worse. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's that. But yeah, this, it's going well. It's going great. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Rose petals, and I thought they'd have a parade after Houston and Jacksonville if you ended the one-year drought or the uh, week one drought and the drought in Jacksonville. But you didn't end either of them. Um, let's start here, and I, you know, I, I feel bad saying this, but I, I'm going to tell you that your answer cannot be the AFC South. I'm going to preface that, okay? okay uh, yeah. Your biggest reason for Colts optimism right now, moving forward. Well. I actually would say this. I think their best players so far have not played that well. So what I would argue, or poorly probably, <laughs> is that I think they have more in them. And and so if they get that, if they can find that level that they normally play at, this is going to be a better team. I mean, I still think it's a talented team. I'm not saying they have enough talent. We You, you never really know that, right, until – until they, the games actually start. But we know that they have talent. We've seen these guys play at a high level. The whole seven Pro Bowlers returning, all that, right? I mean, we've seen these guys play. Uh, I, I'm not seeing that level of production right now. So if they can ever get back to that, and why wouldn't they be able to at some point, right? If they're, if they're good, you don't forget how to play football. So I know it sounds, you know, sort of Pollyanna maybe. I don't know if that's the right word, but – I just think, you know, if you're good if your good players play well, you're going to be a better team. It's really not that complicated, right? I mean, like I think if we start seeing DeForest Buckner play like DeForest Buckner, oh wow, all of a sudden things change, right? So that's just one example, I think. And, and that's where the Colts hope lies. 
Yeah, I mean, I would argue their best player through the first two weeks has been Grover Stewart, and you wouldn't even label him as a top, you know, 10 player on this team right. entering entering the season. I, I did want to give you, give you the opportunity to, I don't know if you want to clear anything up, but I know that you had a quote in your story um, after the game on Sunday from Kenny Moore, um, and I'll let you maybe say the quote. I, I don't want to miss, misspeak here, but Kenny's quote alluded to something scheme-related. Kenny then came back on Twitter yesterday or Monday and, and, and pretty much said that he didn't say anything scheme-related. Um, care to share anything on the interaction front? Because I think if you're going to label a player that is paid to be good and has not been good early in the season, Kenny Moore would fall into that group. Yeah, it, I can recount the entire uh, exchange. It basically was a, a conversation about the the Jaguars' high completion percentage. I mean, we all saw it. Uh, Trevor Lawrence completing 25 of 30 passes. And I asked him, I said, you know, what, what can you do you know, from a scheme standpoint, when when guys, you know, when they're having that much success, um, and he says, you know, it's scheme on scheme is a quote, and he says it's a great question. Though. Why is the guy so wide open? And look, I I think you could interpret it. It really it left a lot of things open to interpretation. Now, to be clear, I didn't in the story try to interpret it. I just said, hey, here's the question. Here's what he said, and then I kind of leave it to the reader. I know that that can be that can go a lot of different ways, right? What I I'll tell you what I took from it, if that matters at all. What I took from it was, I think they they didn't have a solution, and whether that's whether that points to the coaching staff or the players, that, that's you know that's up to the the reader to decide. But I also think when you say it's scheme on scheme, it means that the Jaguars had a pretty good attack and the Colts have their way of defending it. And it just didn't work on Sunday. I don't think, frankly, I don't think that is even a bold statement. I think that is a reflection of what the hell we saw, <laughs> you know? So I, I get that he's probably getting some blowback from it. And I like Kenny. I have a good relationship with Kenny. I, I hope everything's fine from his perspective. I haven't heard from him, but I don't, I think what his tweet is saying, I'm, I'm giving him some benefit of the doubt here. I think what he's saying is he's not questioning the coaching in this quote. And, and that's a plausible explanation. So I don't know. We'll see. I'll clear it up with him when I see him. Uh, Steven, let me give you the names. I'll give you three names. And you tell me which of these three, if, if Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay and Frank Reich had a magic potion, and they could sprinkle it over one player to wake that guy up and get them going. Which of these three would be the most critical towards the Colts' success right now? Mo Cox, Yannick Ngakwe, and Paris Campbell. Hmm. Um, I actually think right now, I might actually argue Paris Campbell. Well, at least in Sunday's game, let's put it that way, with Michael Pittman out. They just they needed a spark at wide receiver. The reason I don't mention Ngakwe is because I think it really boiled down to more of the way that the Jaguars attacked them. It, they kind of made the pass rush sort of um, obsolete. They, they couldn't get there. The Colts right now have uh, – they are fourth in terms of time to throw defensively. And what that means is – the amount of time between the snap and the throw, they have the fourth lowest time uh, defensively right now, meaning the, the ball is out faster than any other team except for three other teams. So I kind of give 
Ngakwe a little benefit of the doubt, you know, because of that. I want to see what he does Sunday against Mahomes, who will hold the ball a lot more, right? But when it comes to when it comes to the the offense, I mean, just Matt Ryan just didn't have anywhere to go with the ball. I mean, and that's on top of being under siege because the offensive line can't get its act together, which is a whole other story. And I think one of the most one of the most uh, one of the biggest indictments of this team right now is this offensive line playing like complete trash, complete trash. But anyway, I'm getting off the topic. You asked me about the three players. I think Paris Campbell, I thought he was a guy, look, if there's ever an opportunity for him to step up and show, Hey, I'm still here. I'm, I still have it. I can still do this. That was the opportunity of a lifetime. And what did he do? Basically nothing. I was really, really extremely disappointed in that. Like, uh, Stephen, is it is it over for Paris Campbell? I mean, honestly, it, like it, I, I realize we're two games in, but I'm like, what are we doing here? I mean, literally, yeah. the, the the entire world is waiting to see what you can do, and here's your opportunity to go out and you literally are DB Cooper until the fourth quarter when you get an offensive pass interference on a play that wasn't even designed to you. I, what are we doing here? I love the B.B. Cooper reference, by the way, because that uh, – can we get to the bottom of that one day? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you and I, you and I two of the 7% of Indianapolis that know who we're talking about. They have no idea what we're talking about. Go on your HBO app and, and, re- and watch the documentary. So I, can tell you. I got nothing. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> we're two nerds talking about something that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, – Yes. I mean, come on, man. Like, this is what we, we talked about this all off season. And listen, I love Paris Campbell because I, I think that it's a, it's a very relatable story, right? What he's gone through is very relatable just for anybody, right? It, it's like all he wants is to just have an opportunity and to be healthy and, and all that, right? And, and you feel for him. You really do. There's, there's, a, there's a genuine, even as a reporter, I'm, I'm neutral and all that. But, like, you can't, you can't help but feel for what he has been through, right? Year after year after year major injuries. And so now he's healthy and now they really need him for the first time. <laughs> and he just he hasn't come through. So is it over? I think it will be unless, unless something changes. I mean, why would you on top of the injury concern, if he doesn't produce when he is healthy, then what are you, like you said, what are we doing? What, why would you go re-sign him when he's giving you nothing? So he has, now it's turned into – it's not so much a, a happy, uh, hopeful story. Now it's turned into like, hey, man, get it together. He's Stephen Holder with ESPN.com, and he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Right now we are live at the Brickyard Crossing golf course for the Pacers golf outing. Uh, focusing on the Colts here in this segment. Kind of expanding on that Stephen Campbell-related. You know, if you're going to tell me on Sunday, no Michael Pittman, no Alec Pierce – Paris Campbell's biggest contribution is an offensive pass interference penalty. Um, Jonathan Taylor has nine carries in the game. I would have said, fantasy football owners, you need Naheem Hines on your football team. And yet he plays 15 snaps in that game. I thought Frank Reich's explanation on Monday, um, to be honest, I thought it was a bit lazy. I thought it was a bit head-scratching. You had 50 plays in the game. 
how is Hines not sniffing 20, 25? And Frank's excuse of saying, well, we found out Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce weren't going to play late in the week. It's not like you haven't utilized Naheem Hines in a big role in training camp. You've talked about his expanded role. He's drilled with the wideouts. To me, it, it just seemed like such a missed opportunity considering the personnel, and they totally ignored one of their, frankly, only playmakers on Sunday. I would have accepted the answer more more readily if um, if if Jonathan Taylor had gotten the ball uh, with more frequency, and he did. Sure. What did Jonathan sure. Taylor have? I think nine carries, right? So, so if that were the explanation, if the explanation was, well, you know, we only had fifty plays, and we wanted Taylor to get his touches, then I'd be like, all right, well, that's an actual plausible explanation. But when neither of them got the ball very much, then it's just not, it's not okay. Because, I mean, frankly, those two guys, those are the two guys who, who have the most game-breaking ability in this offense right now, especially without Michael Pittman. So that's the other thing. I mean, if Michael Pittman's not out there, it's not like if you have someone else to get the ball to. So I agree. I, 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 can't, I, I, can't, I can't accept it. Uh, it's not okay, and it, it is what it is. I, I had the same reaction you had. I, I think, look, I do understand as a play caller to, you know, to explain to people how does that happen. I, I actually understand how it happens. You just can't let it happen. It happens because you get caught up in the game and you have all these plays you've, you've kind of you know, sort of laid out to run, and, and you're kind of trying to get to different things in the menu of plays, you know, especially when you get desperate, right, when you're not scoring. So I, I understand how you can kind of lose track of things, but you can't lose track uh, when he is one of your biggest playmakers. If he's not even on the field, forget about getting the ball. He's not, not even on the field. Uh, I got a problem with that. I'd also like to see, I haven't tracked this yet to be clear, but I think just the eye test tells you, I would like to see a little more of what we saw in training camp with Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor in the same yes, formation. Yes, yes, yes. I thought that. that I thought that should have been the dominant personnel grouping on Sunday. You know, when when Pittman and Pierce first show up in the injury report early in the week, you, you got to start thinking, hey, there's a chance they might not be there on Sunday. Certainly, you know, it's it's tough for yeah. a guy from a concussion standpoint to get back there. Not that Pierce would have some massive role anyways. And you know, all this talk in the offseason about it, and you script out the first series, and Hines was impactful. That was the one the one drive the whole game that actually moved across the fifty yard line. Yeah, it just uh, – I just thought from a coaching standpoint, you, you totally um, – you restricted, I thought, one of your very few areas where you could have been effective in moving the ball. No, I totally agree. I, and I think th- this, is, this is part of the, the problem is, look, I mean, they, were, they were definitely at a disadvantage, right? There's no question they, they had some disadvantages with, with Pittman being out and, and Pierce being out. I, I get that. And I give them – I give them – or I, I, I am open-minded to that, I guess is what I'm saying. But the problem is it's not as if you had no alternatives. You did have some alternatives, and you do have two of the biggest playmakers. Look, I get, I get calls from, from media all over the country, radio programs like yours and, and markets all over the country, fantasy football shows, and all they ever want to talk about is these two running backs. <laughs> okay? That's all they ever want to talk about. And, and neither guy, I thought, touched the ball nearly enough on Sunday. And, and if, if you don't throw it to Hines, throw it to Taylor. I, I mean, you, you got to do something. I, I do not trust these receivers. Look, I was willing to give Chris Ballard some benefit of the doubt. Look, I was like everybody else. Like, hey, I don't know. We'll see. And I think that test came a lot earlier than we ever anticipated when Pittman got hurt. 
And the fact is, I think the verdict is in. Okay, they are what we think they are. Okay, so that being the case, you got to go somewhere else with the football. Stephen, if you were given an envelope with a definitive answer in it, would you rather know every detail of what happened with D.B. Cooper or the Zodiac? <laughs> uh, well, see, I see, haven't, I, I haven't, I'm not as well-versed in the Zodiac story. I mean, I know the story, but I'm not as up to speed on the details. I don't know why I'm, I'm more well-versed than D.B. Cooper. I think I read about it and, and seen the documentary. And so, yeah, I'm a little more on the edge of my seat on that one. Uh, but the Zodiac, now you're going to have me going down a rabbit hole on this one now, I think, on, on the basis of this question. So I, I guess the answer is I, I want D.B. Cooper. Um, and first of all, <laughs> dude, you're jumping out of an airplane over the forest in, in the middle of Oregon. The Columbia River, right, yeah. What's the like, percentage of our listeners that get – am I just out on an island here with this? It, uh, it was I think it's your time. It was before my time. But I, I think D.B. Cooper, Kevin, D.B. Cooper is kind of like – um, you know, it's like Star Trek. Like the people that are into it are like, we'll throw you down a flight of stairs over it, right? They're they're all in. <laughs> Everybody else is like, what's going on here? Uh, basically, basically, dude hijacked an airplane, had it land in an airport, and said, I want two hundred grand. They brought the two hundred grand on. He let a bunch of people off. They took it back up in the air. And as soon as it got back up in the air, he's like, that eh, joke's on you. And he opened up the emergency chute, parachuted out of a commercial airline. They never found them, but they found some of the money like 10 years later. Sounds like some Colts fans parachuting out of airlines. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The difference between um, D.B. Cooper and, say, Chris Ballard in the offseason is D.B. Cooper had a plan. He executed that plan. He went to it, and it worked flawlessly for him. Whereas Chris Ballard, I'm not saying he didn't have a plan, but, Stephen, you know, do you think that the leash – and I know that this is going to sound – almost personal. I don't mean it to be that way at all, but I'm genuinely curious your thought on this. It, it appears to me that the pendulum has kind of swung here in terms of, and I get it, fans get get impatient when a team gets off to a slow start. And a win against Kansas City probably cures all of it. But does Chris Ballard's defiance towards the things that right now are truly being illuminated as weaknesses for the Colts. Does his leash get shortened based on the fact that they are things that seemingly every person in Indianapolis was jumping up and down screaming about, and he defiantly said didn't need to be addressed? Well, the the public sentiment, I think, is heavily impacted by that. You know, whether it changes things between him and Jamerce, that's, that's a tougher question, but but I will, and I know this is not what you asked me, but I, I do think when you're defiant about it uh, from a, a public standpoint, you know, look, the, the, all the public has is, is these interviews that we do, press conferences. Uh, they read the quotes, they hear the interviews, whatever, right? That's all they have to go by. And, you know, why don't you guys ask about this? Well, we do. And this is what he says he says he doesn't give a damn, okay? So I don't know what else to do, right? And so they get those answers and they don't like those answers. And then when, when people's fears are realized, and they have been, uh, they have a right to be upset about that. I understand it. I would be upset if I was emotionally invested in this, and, and this is the outcome, and, and I've gotten the answers that I've gotten. I'd be the same way. I get it. So in terms of, I think, the, the public being open-minded and giving Chris Ballard the benefit of the doubt, he has, he has I think, lost a lot of that by virtue of how he's handled it, not only by his moves or lack thereof, 
but I think his his attitude toward some of those questions. So do we read into Stephen the fact that do we read into the fact that we did not hear from Jim Irsay in terms of you know after the Jacksonville game at the end of last year? And I realized it was a season-ending loss, but you know he was very outspoken. He did the video outside the jet, and he you know he's reassuring fans, and and now. I'm not going to say radio silent because he did a few things down in Jacksonville in terms of posting a video of him interacting with fans. But Jim Irsay has yet to really come out and make any sort of bold statement about this slow start. Do we read into that in any way, shape, or form? Uh, no. The, the only thing I would read into that is, and I think this is a real thing, the only thing I'd read into that is that I do truly believe that, that people around Jim Irsay who he generally never listens to. <laughs> but I think the people around Jim Irsay are heavily, are, are working hard, I think, to, to influence him to, to not do that, right? And occasionally he does actually heed the advice. <laughs> I think we saw, we saw a little bit of a hint of this in training camp when he was asked about the importance of the season opener. You know how he's always banging on the table to win the season opener. And, of course, they never do. And what did he say? He said, ah, you know, Chris and Frank and, and Pete Ward, you know, they've been on my case about, you know, you got to shut up about the season opener. It's not helping. Of course, they, they were right. <laughs> but the fact that he actually listened was, I thought, interesting because he just never does. So I, I think he understands as, as much as I'm sure he has much to say. I do think he understands that it's week two and that it, it, only, it only complicates things if he, if he goes out there right now and says – uh, things that that make the natives even more restless. So they're Colts very restless. Back to, <laughs> certainly, certainly. Colts back to practice later today. Again, the home opener this Sunday, one o'clock with the Kansas City Chiefs. Stephen, as always, thank you, and uh, we'll see you here in a bit. All right, guys. See you soon. That's Stephen Holder right there from ESPN.com uh, via the Payless Liquors hotline. One thing. Um, to note from yesterday and Tuesdays with the Colts, you hear from the coordinators. So it was Gus Bradley and Marcus Brady. Gus Bradley was asked about the lack of pass rush so far. And, you know, he mentioned quarterbacks getting the ball out quick. I think that's such an easy cop-out and kind of a lazy excuse for coaches to give. Um, If you look at Trevor Lawrence, Jake, last week, there were at least 10 quarterbacks in the NFL that got the ball out quicker than he did last week. And Joe Burrow's getting sacked a handful of times. And Aaron Rodgers getting sacked more than the Colts hitting Trevor Lawrence twice. And it wasn't even, like, the hits and the sacks. Did Lawrence ever, like, need to get off his spot? Right. Yeah, he was never. It was top there, of the there drop. There was the one, you know, there was the, they ran a couple of designed rollouts, right? Sure. But, yes. But nothing the Colts did to dictate that. Okay. Nothing the Colts did to force him out. And, obviously, when you look towards Sunday and Patrick Mahomes, that is going to be massive massive importance for the Colts. Um, all right, Chad Buchanan, the Pacers general manager, going to join us here in about five minutes. Let's do a morning check down. The morning check down. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com Omaha! on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake, the talk of Major League Baseball right now is the big right-hander for the New York Yankees. That would be one Aaron Judge. Homer number 60 last night, 15 games to go. Does he get 65? 
Uh, I think he probably will, right? I don't know that he gets 70. How many games do they have left? 15. Let's say he hits, yeah, he'll get 65. That's probably about right. He won't get 70. But he's been on a tear. And, you know, listen, he's going to pass Roger Maris, and that's the big thing because Maris, you know, Maris is a Yankee, right? And so the all-time single-season home run leader for a Yankee is pretty impressive. And the other thing to note, too, Judge leads the AL in batting average. You know, it's not just a guy that's, you know, batting 240. Yeah, he's in play for the Triple Crown. You know, homer strikeout every time. Um, I guess we'll just go on with the swoosh. Is it impossible to do the swoosh when we're doing the remote? Like, how does Mark know when to swoosh us? I don't. I just, you know, I just do it whenever. It's an innate feel. Reminds me of when we used to do live shots in local news, and Ed Sorensen would do the highlights, but he didn't have a monitor. I'd just get in his ear and go, next. Just, yeah, like that. Great job, Mark. Um, again, the Colts are back <laughs> yeah. to practice uh, today. Uh, we'll see about Michael Pittman. Frank Reich was pretty noncommittal earlier in the week about Michael Pittman, a quad injury um, for the Colts star wideout. He did not play last week. Alec Pierce, where is he's at with, with, with the concussion protocol? You know the nice thing about Eddie White? As well. The nice thing about Eddie White smoking cigars is he gives you a warning that he's in the area. You know what I mean? Like, you know that Eddie White's in the area before suddenly you realize Eddie White's in the area. Some of my friends refer to Eddie White as the Indianapolis mascot. <laughs> like, if we just had a city mascot, it'd be Eddie White. Eddie White gets here early because with that much sun in, in your hair, you've got to take advantage of the hours that the sun is actually up, right? Isn't that the whole... Thank you. I think that might have been a middle finger I saw from Eddie White. <laughs> well, that Behind Indiana mascot's not overly friendly. <laughs> it's... <laughs> uh, looking ahead to college football here, and I guess what is it, week three, week four? Oh, I, I've I already know. commented on the fact that he's wearing flip flops. Uh, yes, and those socks—they look like they, you know it's ninety-five degrees. Those socks look like they're wool. Eddie, Eddie's like a twelve-year-old at the Westfield Little League, like summer circuits, getting ready to play, except for the cigar. No Pacers belt. Oh gosh, I got to put on my glasses. <laughs> I didn't even see the belt buckle. This is great radio, I realize, yeah, that we're just radio. you know making Eddie White the caricature of what's taking place. Quick but. rundown on college football coming up this weekend. Indiana's at Cincinnati. They are three-score underdogs That's in amazing that to game, me. which is surprising to me. Notre Dame at North Carolina, a slight underdog in that one, and Purdue is hosting Florida Atlantic. Um, so Big Ten play should pick up here soon for Purdue and Indiana. And really outside of that, not a great slate of college football this weekend. Jake's Tigers. I've got Wake Forest and Florida, Tennessee. That is where the um, college game day will be this weekend. All right, we come back here. We are live from the Pacers golf outing, a gorgeous Wednesday morning at one of the finest golf courses in the state of Indiana, the Brickyard Crossing. Chad Buchanan, Pacers GM, joins us next. Can you believe that we're like three weeks into the month? This is the first time Mark's played this? Well, it's tonight, right? Yeah, the 21st night of September. Oh, he does say the 21st of September. Yeah. yeah. Most people just play this on September 1st. Shout right? out to my dad. His birthday tomorrow. Brad Bo, you've got some birthdays around here, right? Or Shannon just had a birthday? Uh, Shannon's birthday is four days before mine. So. End of August? End of August. That's correct, yeah. And then uh, mine's the third and then a whole slew of them in September. Now, Eddie White just so. asked if there was extra security for me with Benedict Mather and if he shows up. Is, is Benedict Mather showing up? I haven't seen him. It's probably a good thing I haven't seen him yet. Um, I'm a huge. Do you think he knows? No. Well, I would hope not. He's focused on basketball. If he doesn't know, he's going to know today. 
he is wired the right way, and our next guest had a big say in the drafting of Benedict Mather, number six overall out of Arizona. Chad Buchanan, the Pacers GM, is here. Chad, I think we talked to you just after the draft. Um, I expressed my admiration is probably the better word to use for Matherin. And what you saw in Summer League, what you've seen in him in person in your own building, what have been your early thoughts on the number six overall pick? Yeah, first off, congratulations on your new baby. Thank you. I yep. appreciate that. Thank you. Um, you know, Ben so far has been everything we expected. Uh, very, very driven, very competitive, wound tight. And we see that every day in the gym. Our guys have been for about a month now playing voluntary workouts, playing pickup doing workouts with our coaches in the strength and conditioning area, and he's been exactly what we thought he was going to be. He's, he's going to go through highs and lows like all freshmen do, and the game is, you know, processing, you know, as a rookie can be, you know, take longer for some guys than others, but his competitiveness, his drive, his work ethic, he's, he's in there at night. I mean, he's working out during the day. He's coming back at night. He's just got a passion for getting better which is a great quality to have and he's got a lot of raw tools to work with wound tight what what do you mean by that well he's the type of guy when you play pickup when his team loses he's got to walk out of the gym for a minute to get calmed down a little bit because he's just so competitive he he wants to play well individually he wants his team to win and he just takes his craft very very seriously which is for a young player like a benedict matherin which is a bigger adjustment over the totality of a rookie year, a freshman year, as you call it? Is it the the collapse speed of the lanes and just the overall length of what you're seeing at the NBA level, or is it the number of games and hitting that wall of where you're used to getting ready for the NCAA tournament and you're like, wait a minute, I'm only halfway through the season here? I think it's both. I think early on it's the quick decisions you have to make. You know, it's a 24-second shot clock. Quick decisions, the defenses are prepared to take away what you're trying to do, so you got to make adjustments. you got to be thinking the game, and that can slow a rookie down initially. But as the season progresses and you start to learn things, you go through experiences where you have success, you have failures doing some of these decision-making, then you hit that 40, 45-game mark of the season, which in college you're done. In the NBA, you're only halfway there, and that's where it becomes more of a mental challenge of, Am I taking care of my body? Am I getting sleep? Am I eating right? Am I preparing myself to play well and have the energy to play every night? So I think it starts with what you first said, and then it ends with uh, the component of the length of the schedule. Who is the best that you have seen be able to handle that? Thad Young was – we had a group there of Thad Young, Corey Joseph, Darren Collison that were – Boyan Bogdanovich that were just every day. They knew how to pace themselves – uh, when they need to bring it at practice, when they need to bring it at games, when they need to scale back. And I, I, as I've been in the league for a long time, and I was telling Buddy Heal this yesterday, one thing I've grown to really respect in players is durability. And guys that are there every day, it's a very rare quality in our league. Um, there are only a handful of guys that played all 82 games last year in the NBA. And Buddy, Buddy's done it throughout his whole career. Yep, and Buddy is one of those guys, I think he's – he avoids the training room, and, you know, we had guys in Portland that were like that, too. They just don't want anything to do with the training room. They just want to play, and that is a quality that, you know, I think Ben possesses. I think Tyrese possesses that. I think other guys on our team have that quality, and it's it's rare. 
Yeah, I feel like I noticed all three draft picks were were incredibly durable and played a ton in their collegiate careers, and I was curious if that was kind of something you guys wanted to focus on. Chad Buchanan, Pacers general manager. Again, he's with us here. We're live at the Pacers golf outing, a gorgeous Wednesday morning here at the Brickyard Crossing. I let off today's show, Chad, and said I'm thrilled by the direction. I, I, I love the new era. I love the new hope. I feel like it's a little bit more of a modern-looking roster. I'm very excited about this season. season. But I'm curious when last year was the moment where you, Kevin, Herb, Rick, whoever, you guys looked at each other and said, all right, enough's enough. We got to do something drastic and do something very foreign to this franchise. I think we felt that moment coming as the season started and we had injuries and um, we just couldn't gain any momentum. You know, we got off to a little slow start and then we kind of ride the ship a little bit, but then we had more injuries and you're dealing with COVID and it just got to the point for me personally, the game on New Year's Eve when DeMar DeRozan throws in a running one-foot you know, oh, yeah. three-pointer, that felt like a dagger to me, you know, and just that group and our season. And it was time for a new path. You know, the Pacers have always prided themselves on being competitive, being a playoff-caliber team. And it was time for us to, to try something new. You know, that group, I feel it, it reached its, you know, its ceiling with its health, with its on-court play and success. And, you know, to our ownership's credit, you know, it was it was time to try something new. And like you said, it's the roster is now a little more modern. It, it's we're, we're committed to this long term. It's going to be some challenges. We have a young team, very young team and a very, very competitive Eastern Conference. And let's be real. It's hard to win with young players in our league right now. But we are committed to long term growth with this group and some of these young players we're committed to. And um, we want to continue building this the right way to have some sustained success. You've been very candid with us. Miles um, Turner related. Do you expect him to be here opening night? Yes. You know, Miles is obviously the offseason went through some things involving him, but Miles has been an absolute pro. You guys know Miles. He's, you know, one of the most outstanding human beings you're going to find in the NBA and handled everything this summer like a pro. He's in great shape, um, healthy, and ready to go. Is he here because. You see him as an integral part of the pieces around what you can have with him, or is he here because you took and looked at offers, nothing came to fruition, and so therefore you have to make the best of it with the fact he's a pro about it? Well, our job, first off, is to listen. I mean, obviously, Miles, we value greatly. You know, other teams around the league value him too, so it's always going to be our job to listen if it helps improve the team. But Miles fitting with this team, with a young group of guys, especially a young group of guards that need some defensive protection behind them that needs some experience with them in the locker room. His shooting, it really fits with a lot of our young guards. And so from a basketball standpoint, he's an he's a outstanding fit on the court for us. Um, you know, going back to, you know, his fit with us long term, we're always going to have to listen if teams call and it's our job. But we know what we have in Miles and we love what he brings to the team. Where is that balance with him specifically in that the injuries the last two years, the elephant in the room is the contract year. If he plays well, he might not be here in August, and that might not be your decision necessarily. He might want that, and yet you've got some younger guys at that position. You'd probably like to play as well to see what they look like long-term. But where is that balance and knowing that this is a guy that if he plays well, it's great for the team this season, but that could be the benefit of another team starting next year. Yeah, we have to weigh all those factors. You know, Miles is in a great position for us from a basketball standpoint, you know, Domas is now longer with us. He's got the starting center position. He's playing with a great young guard in Tyrese um, with a coach that believes in him. So he's, he's set up to have an you know, opportunity to have a great season, and that puts him in a great spot next summer, like you mentioned. So 
you know, we've got to weigh those, you know, with conversations with Miles throughout the year, um, with his agent throughout the year, and evaluate, you know, how he fits um, with our young guards because we haven't seen him with Tyrese. So um, we think it's going to fit well, but, you know, we, we want to see what it looks like before we make some of those calls. I'm sure Miles wants to do the same thing on his end. It's just part of the business. Perhaps I'm going to overinterpret, but I noticed Chad Buchanan, by the way, is our guest here at the Pacers Golf Outing. I noticed when you were talking about Miles Turner, um, you said – on court, he really plays, you know, he, he blends well with the guys we have around him. From a basketball standpoint, we really like what Miles does. I, is there any concern? Is there any personality issue that takes place away from the court with him? None. I mean, Miles is, as like I've said before, as good of a human being, high character as you're going to find in the NBA. Uh, he loves the city of Indianapolis. Obviously, this is the only team he knows. Um, he's been very loyal to us. Um, and I have no concerns about Miles. Miles knows this is part of the business. I mean, he's, we've communicated with him all summer on what was going on, and we do that with our players. We're very transparent with them, and he understood that part of it. Um, maybe he didn't always like it, but he understood it, and that's part of who Miles is. He's a very bright you know, guy who understands that this is part of being an NBA player. You know one thing that's interesting, Chad? I remember years ago talking to guys that played at Indiana, and when they would talk about Bob Knight, they would always say that, that Bob Knight sometimes, the guys that he would get on the hardest were guys that he knew could handle it. And there were other players that maybe he knew were a little more emotionally fragile, and so therefore he knew when to back away from, from going all in on them. In terms of your job, in all players, not just Miles Turner for any player, the, the outwardly comments that are made or the outwardly shopping a player, if, you, if to use that term, is it ever predicated in any way, shape, or form on how that player will respond to having their name in the headlines? Do you keep things more private if it's a guy that you think might not respond to it the way other players would? That's a, that's a deep question there. Um, I think we try to treat all of our guys the same with our communication with them out of respect to what they're doing for a living, what that means to their family, um, you know, the uncertainty of how long am I going to be in this one with this one team. So... I would say that question is is tough to answer other than I could just say we treat everybody with the same amount of communication, the same honesty, same transparency as the next guy. Some of our players are more involved with, you know, trade rumors that are out there, um, accurate or inaccurate than others, but we try to treat all of them the same when it comes to that. Who Chad, is, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, Chad Buchanan's with us, the GM of the Indiana Pacers. Again, we're live here at the Pacers golf outing. Training camp next week, two weeks from tonight. The preseason opens less than a month away from the regular season opening. A position battle, a logjam out of position, starting battle. What are you most looking forward to roster-wise play out here over the next couple of weeks? I just want to see our young guys, how they grow, how they learn from some of our veterans in training camp. That's always interesting for me. You know, some young players get off to a blazing start. Some of them are a little slower out of the gate. And I think we have some veterans that are prepared to take on the role of mentoring some of our young players to help them get started. I think Tyrese is ready to take the next step in his play. He's more comfortable in his surroundings. He's more comfortable with his teammates. I think we're going to see a, a, a big jump from Tyrese this year, which I'm excited to see. And you're always excited about your three rookies, you know, see how they look you now that, hey, this is the real deal. This is camp. There's veterans on the floor with you. This isn't summer league. And I'm excited to see their progress from summer league to now of how they respond to a training camp environment. What player is, I'll tell you the, the guys that I love. Chad Buchanan's our, our guest. O over the years of me watching basketball, the Pacers in particular, 
my favorite players are not always the Reggie Millers and the, you know, the Ron Artests or whatever it may be. Oftentimes it's guys that are, I call them Swiss Army Knives. Guys that you can just tell, they don't need shots to come through them. You can put them in a couple of different positions. Maybe it's for a defensive stop. Maybe it's for, you know, ball control, whatever it might be. But they're willing to do whatever it takes, and they have a versatile skill set. Who is that guy for you? One guy who's had a phenomenal offseason. He's been in our gym all summer, and he does a lot of things. He's very underappreciated. Probably some NBA fans don't even know his name is Terry Taylor. I think he's had a terrific summer. He's looked great in pickup games. He's just keeps his mouth shut and just produces. He would be the worst ever guy to play in a pickup. You would game. hate to guard because Terry he's Taylor. the guy that would, and he's the guy that like would start checking you at like three quarters of the way up the floor and like, dude, what are you doing? I'm just out here to get a little run, right? Wait, and he like, got that rebound again. Yes, <laughs> right. You right. would hate to have to block he's a, him he's out. He's kind of a junkyard dog, right? He is, and he just doesn't say much. You know, he's not promoting himself or you know a, a brash personality. He just puts his nose to the grind and gets a lot of good stuff done on the court. Chad, am I crazy? I, I don't know if I care that much about wins and losses this season. I, I know that might sound like a ludicrous statement for someone inside the organization like you, so heavily involved. Um, and I get it. Years are precious. I mean, you obviously are playing to win. But I'm looking at it and think, if these young guys can take strides and you all of a sudden get to the Pacers golf outing next September and you sit here and you've got a core in place, you have pieces to the puzzle, and maybe you just need a tweak or two, and these young guys have gotten experience, growing pains, have end-game situations, those sorts of things. To me, that that says more about the season than 32, 22, 42 wins. When you are asked your expectations for this season, what's your answer to that? Yeah, I don't think focusing on the wins and losses is appropriate with a young team. I agree with that. I think we want to see growth from start to finish, and you're going to have – peaks and valleys we talk a lot about having calm waters around our, our team of not reacting to the highs or the lows too much with a young team we're going to have some high highs there's going to be some great wins some nights where all of our young guys and our veterans play well simultaneously and it's a great night then you're going to have stretches where we look really young we look inexperienced we look overmatched against some of these really good teams um, but we want to see growth from october to January, to March, to end of the off season, we want to see a trajectory of positive momentum. And with a young team, that's what you're, that's what you want. And uh, we were, Kevin and I were in Portland together and we went through that where we went from, you know, 21 wins to 32 to 41 to 54. You know, that's the kind of trajectory you want to build sustained success. And I think we'll see some, so like I said, some great nights with this young group and you're going to see some nights where it doesn't look so good. Well, you know, what's funny is a, a, not funny, I guess, for Chad Buchanan in particular, but a 25-win season without a vision feels different than a 25-win season when it's – and I'm not saying you're going to win 25 games this year, but where I, I do think that now it's like you can see the light coming through. Does that make sense? Like it does feel like there is a plan and a vision, and it's pretty clear what it is. And I have said, and I want you to tell me if this is off base, the franchise that I look at and I say, this is perhaps where the Pacers are setting themselves up. I look at what Phoenix did. Phoenix kind of, and granted, Phoenix was able to go out and get a Chris Paul or, you know, a really good player, but through a, high, a couple of high draft picks and just being patient, they were able to then see it all come together seemingly overnight where you just went, holy cow, these guys are actually pretty good. 
And to me, that's the blueprint. Am I am I being too optimistic? I think you're spot on. I think the other two teams, Phoenix is a great example. I think Memphis and Cleveland are the other two examples that we look at. Cleveland in particular. Have a couple high draft picks that they've hit on. They've drafted well late in the first round. If you would have gotten that pick from Cleveland, who would you have taken? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm would, not sure. Let, let's been, see how the first. How, the, about, the, how about Mark Williams? I was huge on Mark Williams. I mean, good player. Definitely a good player. So that, that's he wasn't on the board, right? though. We're going to need security if Mark Williams ever comes to Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> how can you talk you. about a Duke guy with a KU hat on? I, that's true. I'm not a Kansas <laughs> fan. I just went there, and, and I actually like the logo. The <laughs> you did, you cool. thought you were interviewing KP today. That's why you were. That's right. That yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, ch- uh, Chad, last one for me. You mentioned Domas and Miles and, and you know, that experiment, you know, Obviously did not work out. Now Miles is by himself. But then you got Jalen Smith. And I love Jalen Smith. I love what he showed last year. I mean, Jake knows this full well. Um, I, I was thrilled when you guys were able to bring him back. A multi-year deal, too, which is not what I was necessarily expecting. How would you assess kind of Miles playing next to Jalen Smith versus Miles playing next to Domas? Jalen, first off, Jalen had a phenomenal summer. He was back in uh, Baltimore training and came back about two weeks ago and just floored everybody at the gym with what some of the things he's doing now. So we're super excited about how his game is expanding. And I think he knows as a power forward, there's certain skills that are different than what a center is going to do because he played, you know, both of those in his past. So him next to Miles brings us two shot blockers, two, two guys that can really stretch the floor and make shots, which helps our guards. And Jalen, I think you'll see, has added more dimensions to his game offensively where he's putting the ball on the floor a little bit, um, creating his own shot a little more. And the challenge will be, you know, Jalen defending on the perimeter. That'll be the thing that he's really got to continue to develop on. That's what he worked all summer on. That was a big thing we talked to him about when we signed him. As a power forward, your defensive, you know, responsibilities are different than a center. And so that'll be part of their growth together. You know, Miles obviously is terrific at the rim. He's very capable on the perimeter defensively. Jalen is, you know, we got to see, can he move and guard some of these versatile fours in our league right now? Uh, but I think the shooting component is the biggest difference. You know, Domas was such a phenomenal interior player and passer, whereas Jalen is a phenomenal catch and shoot. Uh, he's a great finisher around the hole. So it's, it's, it puts more responsibility on our guards to make plays because Jalen and Miles aren't necessarily the same type of playmakers that Delmas was. But I think that's what we wanted. We, we feel like our guards' strength is making plays. So we want the ball in their hands, and that's going to benefit Jalen and Miles both. Now, you're an Iowa native, right? Yes. Now, do you think that truck stop on I-80 is really the world's largest? Is that false advertising, do you I think? I think it's pretty large. Is that large. a marketing ploy? I think it's, I think it's pretty dangerous, you too. I try to avoid stopping there. <laughs> oh, the maid rights. We've discussed the maid rights. It's a great, and you've never had the maid rights, right? Or you don't like them? I love maid rights. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, it's like a staple. Who was it we were talking to from Iowa? Yeah, it was and they said they said they'd never had a made right. We were and trying could, to get insight into Keegan Murray, one of these Iowa beat writers. Oh, yeah. had, the had Iowa beat writer, that's what it was. And, and he never had a made right. And I'm like, you're not really from He's Iowa. Not true Iowa. Yeah. Jake almost hung up on him. Yeah, it was one of these. I'm like, you're one of these newspaper conglomerates <laughs> that's being done out of New York or something. There's no way. Would you agree though? If you totally agree, there's no way you're in Iowa for more than a week and you've not had a made right. Totally agree. Now, are you golfing? I'm not today. No, not today. I would love to. I'd love to golf, but not today. Well, you probably have pull. I mean, did you not get in on a foursome here? You <laughs> yeah. probably could Mike do that. Mike Preston took my spot in our foursome today. <laughs> there you go. So, I yeah. mean, I've seen Eddie White play golf. I'd rather have you than Eddie, and I've never even seen you play golf. <laughs> Eddie's a good golfer. Uh, well, he should be. He lives on a golf course. <laughs> Chad Buchanan, Pacers general manager. Again, the preseason opens up two weeks from tonight, and we are less than a month away from the regular season opener. Chad, I know it's probably been a lot 
to admit kind of it's time to go in a different direction. I know that can be hard and challenging, but uh, I think there's a lot of excitement about this season, so looking forward to it, and always appreciate your candor with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it very much. Um, and, Kevin, I'm telling you, like like we were talking about, I just I think there's an optimism, right? Like I think that there's it's a different mindset for us than it was a Agreed. year ago. And it's very foreign for the fan base to have a Pacers season with this type of new era, I don't, new I don't approach. I think that truck stop is really the world's largest in Iowa, though. Uh, shockingly, you, we were up against have it. Have you been to um, it? We're going to hit a break it, here. It, it does have it Now, it has a salon. Would you get your hair cut at a truck stop? Kevin Query, 93.5, showers. Five, Would you shower there? I don't know if they already played the bouncer back or not there. Yeah. Well, we're back. We, were, we were busy yapping. Mark was texting and saying that the song reference there, right? Yeah. Well, there's a D.B. Cooper reference, but obviously you missed it because you uh, didn't have that on. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. We had our, Mark, listen, Mark. We're out here at a golf outing, right? We're at the Pacers Foundation golf outing at Brickyard Crossing. Kevin and Query here. Um, and... You know, we're talking to important people, right, Mark? Not that you're not important, but we had the headsets off because we're having very deep I mean, discussions. I can about- see the cameras at the break. You're just staring at your phones. Let's not let's not act like we're talking to important people here. Eddie White is giving Excuse you guys me? the business over there. Yeah, well, I'm not sure where. Do you like the indie mascot Eddie reference for Eddie White? <laughs> Again, <laughs> the mascot of Indianapolis. We've got great mascots here, but the entire city, I think it'd be Eddie White. He is kind of Freddie feverish, right? Uh, Claude messaged me. No questions about Lance Stevenson. Claude, I think that's passed. Uh, Lance Stevenson, a free agent, by the way. And, yes, we probably should have asked about that. I apologize for what it's worth. Um, I've just kind of moved on, I guess. We did ask about Lance Stevenson once we got done when you got that. And um, basically to relay the answer that was given, which was simply that he is a free agent. He is still actively involved uh, in working out with the players. Um, but it would not. I would not anticipate that he is going to be on the roster this year. But maybe at some point, uh, when his post playing career comes around, might be part of the franchise. Sure. But which makes of, a lot of sense to me. As of now, they're going to allow him the opportunity to try to find a place to play. Again, they drafted Andrew Nemhard. Um, so when you look at the point guard group right now, from Tyrese Halliburton, still TJ McConnell, and then Nemhard. I mean, those are three guys that need the ball and want the ball. And I think last year you're in more of a point guard pinch with the McConnell injury, Brogdon, of course, constant injuries. Uh, you had a desperate need this year. Right now, you don't have that. So I think that's what kind of adds to it. If you missed the conversation with Chad Buchanan, again, that is the general manager of the Pacers. Um, always enjoy it. Um, that'll be up on the podcast. Um, I did think something interesting to note on Jalen Smith. Jake um, stick Smith, right? Yeah. Rex specs. I love it. Um, again, very, very high on him. You know, when the draft came around last June, I was reminding people how important Jalen Smith was to bring back Jake. He was younger than some of those guys that went in the lottery. Correct. He's still very, very young. And I think you got to be encouraged by what you heard from Chad Buchanan there. Obviously the mix with him and miles Turner um, will be a big thing to watch, but uh, that that move, that re-signing, I think got lost in a little bit of the shuffle with the Brogdon trade and obviously the Matherin draft pick. Uh, but I continue to be excited about what he can be. To me, he's another lottery pick for you and another really important piece moving forward. You know, that Mark Williams, I think they would have taken with that pick, although he wasn't on the board at that point. You love Mark Williams. I do. Uh, joining us now, by the way, at the Pacers Foundation golf outing, he is, of course, the sideline reporter for the St. Louis Cardinals broadcasts. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson, <laughs> that's that's right, isn't it? He is doing some baseball, isn't he? Uh, I'm like the fifth, fifth middle reliever that comes in only in a desperate situation. You're Charlie Cardinal, 
again, right? <laughs> I believe that's Redbird. Fredbird. Fredbird. Fred. Right. Right. Exactly. I did the Wait, game now. at PNC Park in Pittsburgh, so Fredbird was not actually there. But uh, what well, was that? Was that little uh, the pirate? The, the parrot. The pirate parrot. Yeah, he's there, right? That is correct. He's fun. I, Do you know I'm, his name? Can we he, find I out think his he's name? He's the pirate. Pirate. He's the. Is he just the pirate parrot? The pirate parrot. I don't know. I'm not. You know, I'm not thought, the fill-in pirates reporter. I thought you know, you'd you know, he's, with, you know, Fred Bird was the original, and the pirate parrot actually is basically he's kind of a ripoff of him. So he's pirating most of the things and just parroting the behavior. You go and, ahead, Kevin. Kevin. Did you want to ask for an extra week of um, maternity leave? Well, I thought about a paternity year. Okay. Leave. Paternity. I thought about a paternity year. Yeah. It is very 2022 <laughs> of you there, Jeremiah. Yeah. Thank you for your openness. Again, the hair coloring on the side for me, JJ, with all the grays that Jake has caused me, I think is something I'm definitely looking into this season. <laughs> I thought you'd honestly ask him about it. I was going to bring a baby gift, but uh, I'm waiting on the team store to open. So. Okay. That'll be an IOU. Thank you. And I owe Jake a gift as well, still from his Jeremiah Johnson Brewing Company hat that he picked up for me. That's right. Look at this. Maybe uh, the next appearance I'll come with two gifts. Is there a long still in there? There is a donut. Have a donut. I'm good. No, have a donut. I had four $1 bills this morning, so I bought four donuts. I thought I had a 20 in there, but uh, we just had Chad Buchanan on. I was listening. I said it to open the show, and I said it to Chad. I'm excited. I'm intrigued. I'm curious. I think all of those are words that often also mean that maybe the win-loss expectation isn't as high as we're used to here in this market. But I think there's a lot of reason for just optimism and intrigue. And when you reach kind of a stale point as a franchise, which I think the Pacers had, making that change is vitally important. And I'm really, really looking forward to the next couple of months. The Pacers Foundation golf outing is always one of my favorite days because it's the launch into the season. And for so many seasons, I feel like I've done these interviews and I've talked with people. And there's been a little bit of the same approach, mentality, hope of maybe you can compete for a top four seed. You're, you're not sure how everything will come together, but you're definitely thinking playoffs. This is a little bit of a different mindset, a very different roster, but no difference in excitement and enthusiasm as you mentioned if not more maybe and I I I liked what Chad said that I had that same feeling watching that game against the Bulls when DeMar DeRozan hit that shot that that was a little bit of a dagger I can remember walking from the court where I thought I was going to do a walk-off interview up to the set for the post-game show and I I was just a little deflated because there had been a chain of events where you just thought maybe it's not going to happen. And I give the front office and everyone a lot of credit for making the decision in January and in February to go in this different direction. And there has to be a little bit of apprehension, right? Because this is not a franchise that has has done that, that has, has gone to the younger players with so many spots on the roster. And Everyone that I've talked to this offseason, there's a lot of enthusiasm. And speaking of enthusiasm, I watched Tyrese Halliburton. It was training camp with Tyrese Halliburton at uh, the Riverside Gym on, on Saturday. And all of his teammates were there. Coaches were there. The enthusiasm that he showed. I like what is building. I saw just in that hour to two hours that I was there. The, the team building that you're hoping for that will last a long time, I, I'm seeing the beginning of it right now, and it's led by Tyrese Halliburton. Now, I didn't realize this. The Pirate Parrot. Oh, God. They brought him out in 1979, and his name literally is Pirate Parrot. Where's which is the liquor card? Where's unoriginal. that liquor card? Now, is on. that around here? He, he was brought in to counter the Phillies' popularity of the Philly Fanatic, and it now says they had a fierce interstate rivalry. You think they met up like in Harrisburg for <laughs> fights Kind of like the Boomer-Bowser rivalry? That's a, well... <laughs> 
Bowser on Bowser. I try to steer this back to the Pacers. If you're going to talk mascots, Bowser lives on a farm. He lives on a farm. We okay. go and visit him every once in a while. Bowser's doing well. All right. I thought they were bringing back Bowser. I don't know. It'd be there are a lot of marketing people here, so that that'd be a good recommendation if he's if he's up for. It. You said he's kind of in retirement mode right well, now. Well, he enjoys living on his farm. Yeah. Well, if Jake's not going to, Madison asks this: If you had to air a way too early starting five, what would you predict? Um, I'll take a venture. And f- feel free to interject, JJ. Let's go Tyrese Halberton. Let's go Buddy Heald, Benedict Matherin, Jalen Smith, Miles Turner. The only thing that I would say is that maybe long-term Chris Duarte is a, a sixth-man type of sure. player. But on opening night, to me, you would go with the veteran and maybe Matherin is your off-the-bench guy at the beginning of the season. Okay. And, and you really, to me, if your backcourt has Halliburton, Matherin, and Chris Duarte, those are sort of some interchangeable parts. And, and Buddy Heald maybe is your three, even though he can play a little bit at two. Um, I, it's pretty much six guys for five spots, I think, is, is the answer yeah. that I would say. And then you get Isaiah Jacksons and TJ McConnells, and we'll see about Aaron Neesmith, who I did think struggled in summer league, granted pretty chaotic time for him. But, yeah, I guess with training camp starting soon, that to me is really the only kind of starting battle question is like, do you go with a rookie? I, I'd rather throw him into the fire. Granted, my love for him is well documented, uh, but I understand if you want to put Duarte out there. And think about what Chris on. Duarte did on opening night last season. Sure. I mean, oh, it yeah. was one of the best performances for a rookie um, that we've seen, and it was in his very first NBA game. And he's battled through some injuries, so he may be someone that isn't talked as much about heading into this season. But if he is healthy, I'm really excited to see what Chris Duarte can do. But JJ, I feel like. Chris Duarte is a player that, and I don't mean this just because he's an older player coming out of college, but it seems to me that he is the player on that roster of the young guys that is probably the closest to his ceiling right now. Like, we have the best idea of who he can be. And and I mean that as a positive about him, but I tend to agree with you that if Chris Duarte is the second or third best player on your roster, you're probably winning 35 games. But if he's your sixth man, you're really darn good. And so I think that's kind of what they have designed for him. Am I off base there? I don't think so, although I would caution you. And, you know, that's what a lot of people said about him coming out of into the draft because of his age. It was how many times did he have to probably hear a year ago, well, you're a 24-year-old rookie, and so you think there's a cap on what he can be. And, and I saw more in that first week or two than I expected to see. Now, the shooting maybe tailed off a little bit. I think the rigors say, of an NBA hit season. A wall a little I bit do there. think he hit the wall, and I don't know how much injuries uh, played into that. The role was more than you would have ever expected or hoped that you would have had to given him when you drafted him. I mean, I think when you drafted him, you thought maybe you were going to be, you know, battling for a four or five seed, and he would be your right. Doug McDermott off the bench, and he had to do a lot more. So uh, where's the fine line? Where's the perfect role for Chris Duarte? I mean, to me, he could be an awesome sixth man because he has some of those you just, qualities. You kind of forget about I mean, I don't. It is funny, though, because when you think about the roster and we talk about Halliburton and we talk about Jackson and we talk about Matherin, and then it's like, oh, man. I mean, here's a guy with, that had significant minutes, right? Um, and if you flip his rookie year, like put his first half and the second half, we'd be talking about him in a totally different light. It just yeah, seems like fair. people got so negative so quick. He hit on, the wall and then he was injured. So it, it, if I'm you like, just think, I mean, we'll probably talk a lot at the beginning of the season about that first game because that was one of the most memorable games of the season right. in Charlotte when, when he was able to do that. And just what he did at the beginning, he's a threat out there. And that's the thing when you were talking with Chad Buchanan, 
and talking about Jalen Smith's shooting, and I'm projecting the starting five, and even if we'll say those six players for those five spots, the threat to shoot from all five of them, uh, the defenses have to have to get out and guard everybody that's on the court. And that was missing last year. You know, threat from all five spots. You know, this is nothing against Domas, but he's not a threat from outside the arc. And there were some other times where you'd have maybe two guys that aren't really known shooters. And Rick Carlisle, that's what he wants. He wants shooters on the court. So you're seeing a little bit of what he likes, what his imprint on on this roster. He is Jeremiah Johnson. He is the, do we say dugout or sideline reporter? I believe the baseball version, it's it's dugout reporter. Okay, the dugout reporter. Baseline reporter. A little bit. Uh, right. do you it's s- really the camera well reporter because I'm stand, sitting. He stands on the dugout and does YMCA <laughs> no. in, the, in the seventh inning. I now, where are all that. of you done games for the Cardinals this year? You were in St. Louis, right? No, I was just at PNC Park in Pittsburgh. But I did. I actually was the uh, the Royals backup dugout reporter as well. So I did a series for uh, Kansas City in where July. That was in Kansas City. Okay. And nice. then, uh, in did you PNC get to go Park. to the waterfall? Well, I saw it. I didn't go right up to it. But well, I mean, yeah. you, you've got pole. I would have gone in the waterfall. <laughs> so I don't think it's asking too much, is it? Did anybody last week in Jacksonville swim in, in the pond? I, we were asking about that. I don't know why CBS did not show that camera site. I wanted Jim Irsay doing a cannonball in the fourth quarter <laughs> in, into that pool. I, I thought that was the only thing that the game needed. My last fill-in Cardinals opportunity. I'm actually going to do pre and post game show for the Cardinals on Saturday night. Their games in Los Angeles, Ooh, so pool. I'll fill in there. And then Monday's now, media you, day. Then I'm all Pacers. That? That'll be in St. Louis. Uh, Pujols can Ballpark Village. Yeah, I mean he's only two away. So I saw 696, 697, hit 698. I think uh, Monday night. And uh, I mean he's going to get 700, right? Well, the thing was, going into the series that I worked, there was a question whether he would play enough, and Ollie Marmol said he wants to see it, but they've hit a little bit of a lull offensively. He's one of their best hitters, so you can't even take him out of the lineup, even against right-handed hitters. So he'll get every opportunity, and if he doesn't get it on this trip where he plays the Padres and Dodgers, they've got games against the Reds and the Pirates coming up. Where The Pirates is the one. It's in Pittsburgh, right? The last series of the season is in Pittsburgh. Well, He'll the Reds will group a couple 80-mile-per-hour fastballs down I think the they've got form. some pitchers that are capable of well, doing batting practice. And if I'm not mistaken, though, Pittsburgh is a park where he has hit, like, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously he's hit the most of his career. It would be in St. Louis or L.A., but he's had a lot of them in Pittsburgh. He's one of the best hitters at PNC Park that's not a pirate. Right. J.J., we've obviously talked a ton of Pacers here oh, in this segment with you. I assume the most popular offseason question you've probably gotten is a little bit more Bally Sports-related. Um mm. I guess, what do you say to fans when they when they bring that up? I mean, I know your hands are kind of tied. Obviously, you, Chris, and Quinn, again, on Bally Sports. Um, what is kind of your response and fans bring that up to you or you see people out in public about some of the restrictions that go with uh, purchasing that, that package? Well, at least there's an option. I mean, there is, there is a going to be a way for if you are a streamer or you have YouTube TV, now you can – Purchase the games from Bally Sports Plus. Uh, the news has been out. They still don't have. I don't think it's not ready to actually purchase yet. But I think that at least makes me happy that if you want to watch the games, you can. I'm not trying to tell anybody how to spend their money. I mean, I can't come here and say that it's worth this or, or you know, what you have to do with what decisions that you make. But, you know, I will say that in an average month, I mean, how many NBA games are there? And if you divide that by how much you have to pay, it's just something to consider. It's our job to make the product entertaining, to hope that the product on the court is entertaining as well, and then it could be something that if you don't currently have, you really want. And so that's 
pretty much all I can say about right. that. And the other thing, you know, I listen to all this, and I'm not really able to say a whole lot, but if you're someone who's been frustrated over the last couple of years, we're in this time in the world where there are people like Jake. There are people like my dad. I have DirecTV. I like to have the remote control and change the channel. How the hell did I just get pulled into that? Like, hey, you're you're between you're between ages of my dad and me. I'm just saying. I kind of feel like we're of the older generation, correct? Think once you get to 50, there's no turning back. Yeah. Man. Make, make it quick. I got to take my Metamucil <laughs> at 9:30. <laughs> if you went all streaming, no. those people would would be upset, and to they your, would not have an option. Your so you have to keep it on um, as many venues as you know outlets as you can. And right now, we've added. An additional outlet. And that includes pre- and post-game show? Correct. Anything that's on uh, currently on cable or direct TV that you, Bally Sports Indiana, where you would watch the pre-game show, even if you wanted to watch the rally, which is on before the pre-game show, you would get that if you purchased over the top. Now, Chris Denary. Is that Mark- on after murder she wrote? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. And he's, and he's complaining about being made fun of for being old, and he's bringing up murder she wrote. Thank you, JJ. Uh, Chris Denary and Mark Boyle are in New York City right now? They are. That is correct. And uh, as well as our VP of Broadcasting, Jamie Burns. So that we don't bring the sideline crews to New York City? I mean, hey, I just go where I'm told. Integral part of the I operation. was told that this is the most important part of the week is this interview with you too. So, thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. I've also got an interview with Chad Buchanan with everybody at the golf outing. So thanks for doing some of my prep for me. Some of what I might ask him is just to follow up on what he said to you. What was your biggest takeaway from Chad? I, I like that the acknowledgement of the youth. You know, sometimes you can go into a year and you can say, you know, we want to, to win as many games. And, and to, to tell a crowd like this that don't necessarily worry about the record. The thing that I'm going to ask him that I think is interesting, and you asked him a lot about Miles Turner, and he pretty much... Yeah, he's going to be here opening night, what he said. Yeah. Now, if something happens in the next two weeks, he said also it's our job to listen to everything. But uh, I'm more confident now than I ever was that that is the answer, that Miles Turner will be here on opening night. And, I mean, opening night is less than a month away. So when people asked me that in June, I didn't know how to answer that question. But the thing that I will ask Chad, and if he's listening, he gets a little bit of a prep on the question, is... You've got this young roster. What's the balance with a veteran like Buddy Heald? Miles Turner isn't that old, but he is an NBA veteran. And a, a guy like Daniel Tice, those guys, I believe you always need to have some veterans to teach the youngsters, you know, the way of the NBA, how to operate, how to play NBA basketball. But what's the mix in terms of playing time? I mean, yeah. if you've got a guy like Buddy Heald, and we're talking about Chris Duarte, Benedict Matherin, Tyrese Halliburton, and you want to get those guys playing time, do you ever have a concern in a year that you're trying to get young players' experience that you give too much to a guy like Buddy Hill? I think that's something that we'll have to watch all season long. I, I think that might be the biggest thing for Carlisle to figure out. And again, it's probably more of an organizational thing and not just a Rick playing time thing, but you, you bring up a great point, JJ. Daniel Tice or Isaiah Jackson? Who deserves mo- more minutes backing up Turner? Buddy Heald, Chris Duarte, who deserves more minutes. T.J. McConnell, Andrew Nemhard. If you went off just purely NBA production, we're trying to win a basketball game tonight, you'd go the veteran in all three of those decisions probably. But if you're thinking about who could be on this roster come March, come next September, come 2025, your answer might be a little different. So I just think that juggle will be a huge thing to watch all year. Do you guys think I'll look better at Rockports or Air Monarchs? Which one do you think? Or Docker Pants? 
Are they pleated? Again, we got to get that beverage cart Elastic. around here. <laughs> Elastic waist. We got to get the beverage cart around here. Eddie, is the beverage cart around here? <laughs> the beverage cart. Well, I, I, anything. <laughs> you imagine doing a right double? With Jake for three hours? <laughs> anything. No, I need. I need the. I, he wants a beer. I need the bottom shelf. Well, bottom shelf. <laughs> bottom shelf. You had carb day. All right. Uh, it feels like twenty. <laughs> what was it you had on carb day, Kevin? You had like four of them by I, eight a.m. I, I think I had a banquet. It wasn't a course. It banquet. was a course banquet. Yeah. 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 He doesn't want any formula either. He, he's had yeah, enough no of that. No formula. He wants a beer. I come on. Go I'm hard good. or go home. I gotta go to we only got 30 minutes later, later today. Come on, who cares? Jeremiah Johnson, Eddie White, Jake Query, myself, Kevin Bowen. We are live here at the Brickyard Crossing Pacers golf outing. JJ, will you swing the sticks? Not today. I, I played last Friday in the Morgan County Boys and Girls Club outing. And you, you used to invite me to that. I know, but I knew you were busy this year. Fair. I was looking forward to that. Was it at Heartland Crossing? It was at Heartland Crossing, but I decided as I put the clubs into the car on Friday that that was the last time for the year. So, so will we? <laughs> <laughs> Eddie White literally had. Eddie White is Miller Lite a sponsor? Yeah, I mean you got to get the sound effect right. There we go. Oh, boy, <laughs> it's authentic. <laughs> kind of sprayed up. It hit me in the cheek a little bit there. Um, I'm good. Thanks. Last one from me. Uh, you guys will be on every preseason telecast. Two of the four. Two of the four. The two home games. Okay, so the road games we cannot watch. I'm not aware of uh, a way to watch those, although sometimes league pass is free or there's a trial in the preseason where you can sometimes find those, but I do not know currently of a way that you can watch the, what is it, Cavaliers and Knicks games? I think that sounds right. I'm looking up Major League mascots, by the way. Are you, I thought you'd be looking up Albert Pujols' birth certificate, and you want to JJ, you want to pepper JJ with those questions. Uh, listen, if it, he knows JJ, that's like well known in St. Louis, right? I am gonna have a sip well, of this beer. His birth certificate, I'm not aware no, of. That. His age being in question oh. is not a new or novel concept. Not something I brought up in my one weekend. Yeah, I can't imagine JJ, you know, dugout there. Yeah, Billy, Albert, Billy you the got Marlin. the birth certificate? Billy the Marlin's really good. Have you seen Billy the Marlin? Yeah. He's a good one. I like Billy. JJ, thank you for the time. I know you got to go uh, interview Chad Buchanan, which I'm sure will be much more on topic than this segment was. So, um, as always, great catching up. and um, Welcome back, by the way. Thank you. I hope you're getting some sleep. Right, right. Well, this... Yeah. You know what? You, you've been through the drill. Second time, it's easy, right? I, I've said this to a lot of people. The fact that you know there's light at the end of the tunnel is such a calming feeling. You know, when you're pushing Max on Central this morning about 445, I'm thinking myself. Is Max's sister helpful, though? That's the big key. She was highly skeptical uh-huh. on initial introduction, highly skeptical. Uh, now she thinks he needs the passy every single second. Max is crying, passy. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> don't, let's not jam it in him. But, no, she's been great, and it's been uh, awesome to watch. JJ, thank you. I appreciate it. Mr. Jer- Met's kind of cool. Do you like Mr. Met? I actually do like Mr. Met. He's cool. You think Pat Boylan was probably in his car like for the last 20, 30 minutes thinking, why the hell am I coming on this? So show? I get to hand the baton to fellow sideline guy Pat Boylan? Mr. Red is fun. We've touched on a lot of topics. This Miller Lite does taste crisp. I'm going to have another sip here. Uh, time for a morning check down here on Kevin and Corey. <laughs> the morning check down. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
Uh, yesterday, for the first time in my viewing career, I saw an inside-the-park home run happen at the Indianapolis Indians game. Indians defeating the St. Paul Saints def- despite the fact that the Saints did get an inside-the-park homer. And you know you what I'd love to see in, happen? You're in-person viewing, correct? I don't know that I've – yeah. I mean, I don't know that I've been watching a game on TV and seen it. Ha- I mean, I've seen it in replays, obviously, right? You know what I'd love to see is someone splice together all the inside-the-park home runs in major league, minor league history, but only show the outfielder making a mistake. <laughs> well, there was that issue last night. Because doesn't every inside-the-park home run involve an outfielder it, 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 tripping and falling, throwing the ball in the stands? The only other thing Running that it, against the wall? The ball taking a crazy carom off the wall would be the— and then, you know, shooting in the opposite direction would be the only other— Possibility, yes. Matthew says, stay strong, Kevin. You're almost done. Thank you for that. Uh, Colts get back to practice today. Mark, if you want to queue up that, uh, maybe the Gus Bradley audio. Um, Again, the challenge this weekend is Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes and Gus Bradley do have some history in the AFC West. Here was Gus Bradley yesterday on facing the league's most dynamic quarterback. It isn't. You know, our plaster rules have to be in fact. I mean, a big emphasis on our rush, you know, keeping him in the pocket because when he does get out of the pocket, that's has a tendency or great chance for big plays to occur. So the ability to keep him into a pocket, and they are. They're an RPO, quick game team that takes shots. They have the whole gamut. They got movement passes. They have it all. So we're going to really have to be on our details. Um, you know, I think there was a time when you played Kansas City, a, you know, get in the shell and just keep everything in front of you because there's so many shots. Uh, I think they've done a really, really good job where they're pretty balanced in all those areas. And on top of it, they got a good run game. So they can really affect you in many different areas. Jacob Mahomes has faced Gus Bradley defenses seven times in his career. Six wins for the Chiefs in those games. Mahomes, 15 touchdowns and two picks. I'll tell you what. I mean, he is obviously games. dynamic, right? And I, but I'm Kevin. I just have this feeling, and this is the last time that I that I give them this benefit of the doubt. But you're confident in the Colts on Sunday. I am. I, I just look. I don't think that the first two, and, and I'm probably the biggest moron on the planet for this. But I don't think that no these comment. first two. Thanks that these first two weeks are truly indicative of who they are or representative of who they are. And I, f- I just have a weird feeling that they finally kind of break through and have that game where then all of a sudden you go, what just happened? You know, it, it the Jonathan Taylor blueprint, I think, gives me reason to say the Colts can try and play a ball control type game. But, Jake, I just – can a four-man pass rush get home? Again, you and I have had the same amount of sacks as Yannick Ngakwe, DeForest Buckner, Tyquan Lewis, Dayo Dengbo combined. Yeah, it's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, eventually they're, they got to get something going. No Six and a half it. point favorite, the Chiefs leading into Sunday. Brian says, drink a Long Island for me. The Long Island on Tuesday nights in college was kind of a go-to drink for my generation. Really? What, what would have been your go-to non-beer well, the big thing when I was at, it's funny, Dave First and I one time were covering an IU game and we're like, let's go to Trojan Horse because it's Tuxedo Tuesdays. And I, I realize that's a beer, but the tuxedo, you know, it was like half well, black and tan, basically same thing. Um, that was a big thing, probably midway through. And then Irish Lion, the yard of beer at Irish Lion was a big deal. Do you but think in terms Pat of Boylan non- ever spent a night or two at the Chug in Muncie? 
that the the big bar there, the chug. What's the other one that just closed down? Dill Street. Yeah. Chirp, chirp. Who what they the, got this weekend? Did people have the Dill Street Blues when it closed? I thought you could make a pickle joke. <laughs> that too. Uh, Ball In my got opinion, one that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> was that towards me or is that towards no, Jake? No, oh, of course it was towards Jake. Are you kidding? <laughs> Thank you. Well, what the hell? What, why is everybody that? ganging up? First off, Jeremiah Johnson's got me drawing social security. And then you two guys are, I mean, you're over here drinking beer because of me. I'm just here to have fun. If no one's eaten the last long donut. Oh, that's for Pat Boylan. You're skin and bones over here. Uh, college football rundown for this weekend. Pat Boylan's Cardinals have got Georgia Southern. I think they're an underdog, if I'm not mistaken, on that one. Uh, Purdue's got Florida Atlantic. Uh, Ross Aid favored by around 20. Indiana, Cincinnati. Again, I just, the Cincinnati favored by 16 or 17, Jake. That's crazy. I mean, they lost me. a lot, not just Desmond Ritter. Think about all those guys they lost on defense. That, I mean, that point margin is, that seems really ridiculous. I Mark? Back me on that, right? Isn't yeah, it right I, around? I'm, I'm double three checking scores? to see if it's changed, but that's what I saw the other day, and I did a double take. I'm like, did I just read that correctly? Notre yeah, Dame six, is a one and, and, a half. and a half, sixteen and a half point favorite, Cincinnati Bearcats. Man, I take Indiana on that. Now Notre Dame one and a half point underdog at North Carolina. Man, I mean, sixteen and a half. Notre Dame's an underdog in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That's probably a pick 'em game, right? Gosh. No, that's the reality of where Notre Dame is at. Well, I mean, North Carolina's not bad. Uh, all right, we're going to push the pop quiz to the end of the show. we got Pat Boylan coming up next here, live at the Pacers golf outing at the Brickyard Crossing. Kevin Aquary, 93.5107.5, the fan. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. The Pacers are about ready to start their morning function here with a lot of corporate people. Um, Chad Buchanan, I believe, is going to speak to them. He spoke with us a little bit earlier. A lot of looks from people about my Miller Lite sitting here and i you know i'm saying to people with my eyes just picture yourself working with this man for three hours every day and you would want this at night especially in the nine o'clock hour what did i do i also keep on looking around and i see this nate bjorkren look-alike and i'm like i thought he was not here anymore (laughs) am i wrong uh ask pat boylan he'll know pat boylan joins us fresh off of a fever season, fresh off of a trip to Europe as well. Yes, thank you, Coach Nate, for that. And a wedding coming up here. An early congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Um, I'll throw to you what I threw to Jeremiah Johnson. My eagerness is there for this season. I am intrigued. I'm curious. I'm excited about the new era. What excites you the most about really probably a season unlike anything you've covered, frankly, from preseason expectations. Certainly unlike anything I've covered in, in those words, those adjectives you use. It's interesting. I, I keep hearing those from people, whether it's whether it's radio hosts, whether it's friends, whether it's uh, somebody that you know I run into uh, at the grocery store. I think it's so fascinating because I think if you just look at outside prognosticators and their win projections and all of that, uh, this would be the lowest that the Pacers are. And yet, I, I don't want to say it's the highest fan interest that there's been, you know, Going into that 2019 season off of the first Oladipo year, I think there was a ton of excitement for that, and there have been for other years too. Um, But I think for the first time, there's a a curiosity. You go into a year like this, and maybe a little bit like going into that 2018 year, but with a lot less, the 2017-2018 year, but with a lot less excitement, uh, you don't really know what you have. You don't really know uh, exactly what all these young guys are going to be five years from now, let alone right now. So, uh, you know, I, I think 
Ben Matherin is first, to me, the most interesting thing that the Pacers are, are, are going to figure out right away. What is he going to be? Is he going to be somebody right away that can be helpful? Do you get a clue uh, as to what his ceiling is? And then, uh, you know, Jeremiah and you guys talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, there's there's a lot of these second-year guys or younger players that um, I, I still think you don't really know exactly what you have, and I think that leads to so many different possibilities and outcomes in a season like this. I've always said... Pat, well, I'll just ask it for your definition of this. I have a number in mind, but how many games into a season do you feel like you you need before you know who a team is? It's a good question. I would say 20 to 25. That's exactly what I say every time. 20 to 25 games. And then you kind of get an idea, right? I mean, and, and I think this year what's going to be enigmatic about that is there are going to be games within that 20 to 25 where you're like, holy cow. And then there are going to be games where you're going, what in the world is going on here? But that's part of the youth movement, right? I think that's part of what makes this team interesting is that you look at maybe some of the last few years that the Pacers have come into the season and you probably felt like their ceiling was at a certain level and their floor was at a certain level and that there wasn't maybe a ton of difference between those two things. You come into this year, and, and look, I'm not trying to suggest that their ceiling is through the roof by any stretch of the imagination, but I think when you have a team that is as young and hopefully is talented, hopefully starting to show uh, some of those signs in year one. You're going to have some games where everything clicks, and, you know, for the first time in, in maybe a long time, this is a team that's going to out-athlete people, uh, perhaps outrun people. That was always a challenge, I think, in recent years was you just face other teams that were more athletic than you were. I think you're going to have those nights probably early on, especially where uh, all that youth stuff starts to click. And then you're going to have games where uh, you remember, I think there right now are eight, nine, ten guys that are 22 two or younger. I mean, probably nearly half of this roster coming into training camp could still be in college if they really wanted to be in college. And and that's going to you know play out as well. And so I think that's probably what you're going to see in these first 20, 25 games is a lot of moments where you go, wow, you can really see the potential here. At least you hope that that's the case. And then some moments where you're reminded that a lot of these a lot of these guys just got out of their teenage years. You know, I um, this is going to sound really elementary, Pat. I feel like in recent Pacers teams, they didn't dunk the basketball enough. Like they, and this, I guess, is kind of when you said the out athlete or the ability to match athleticism. Frankly, I think that's been lacking in recent years. They didn't create enough easy baskets. You know, I felt like I would look up and all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, my gosh, there's four on the shot clock and Brogdon's pounding the ball out there. And, and you know, I'm not just I don't want that to sound like I'm just labeling Brogdon as the sole reason. It, it's a four around or, you know, four plus him that were contributing to the kind of the stagnant offenses. I feel like with Halliburton's ability to be such a pass first guy and whether it's Jalen Smith or Turner or Matherin, I just think you have a little bit more of a level of athleticism along with some shooting. And I feel like there is potential to find easy baskets better than there has been in recent years. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think when you look at Pacers teams of years past, the way they tried to win um, and, and, and sometimes had a lot of success doing it. And when they had their most success, it was when Victor Oladipo was at his best and was creating, right? And I think that was probably one of the challenges that this team uh, kind of faced in those final couple of years was you didn't have, you had a lot of really good players and Sabonis was a multi-time all-star and very deserved of that. Um, but, you know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to break you down off the dribble. And I don't think 
think you had a ton of those guys, and I think at times uh, that becomes a little bit of a challenge. The dunks stat, to me, I don't necessarily think you need to dunk a lot to win, but I think it can be a symptom of uh, an overall area you want to improve upon, which is athleticism. And you look at what you got from Halliburton in the last month and a half of the season. He's clearly a great athlete and clearly somebody that can set uh, other people up. I think athlete is the first thing that you drafted Ben Matherin around and, and the attributes that he has to potentially be that. Um, and, and, you know, I remember having a conversation with you guys in March or so of last year, and we were talking about the potential of Isaiah Jackson in an athlete perspective there. So I think that's absolutely something that you've hoped you've flipped the script on. Do you start to see that payoff right away? I think that's a, a question going into the year, but I think it's something where you come into this year hoping in previous years where your athleticism was something that maybe you were trying to overcome. Now it's maybe something that other teams are trying to overcome from you guys. Now, I want to make sure I have this right because you know, I got a crush on the guy. I don't want to screw it up. Ben or Benedict? Oh, I thought I thought you were referencing me. You were looking oh, right well, at me. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, boy, that can be awkward, especially with you getting married here in about a week and a half. Um, I, I felt like, am I wrong? Didn't he say on the conference call let's, he wants to be called Benedict? You know, I've heard both. I, I think he's good with Benedict. Okay. You know, uh, uh, I guess Jacob, were you ever called that? Are you Jacob? Oh, no. I'm not a Jacob. You're not a Jacob. You're just a Jake. See, as a Pat and a Patrick, sometimes I go, uh, I go through this. I'm good with Patrick, but Pat's plenty fine. I'm not saying that's how he is. Okay. But, like, you call me Patrick, I'm not going to be offended. How I certainly think you, you call when him, you transition from Patrick to Pat? That's a great Pat. question. 10? 11? I was going to say, I've always, and I've known you for a long time, right. I've always known you as Pat. You're Patrick when you go into first grade, right? Like, right. that's what your parents called you, and you don't really have a personality. But, yet. see, Maxwell is always going to be Max to me. Yeah, you've never. But you, I mean, you have not gone by your first name since you exited the womb, right? Correct. My mom, well, I, I said to my mom, I've told you this before, I wanted to legally change my name to Jake. And so I said to my mom, like, hey, mom, because I mean, literally every single document I have, and then I go to the hospital or something, and it's, it's under a different name. And so I said to my mom, I go, it's easier if I legally change it to Jake. And she got mortified. Well, I, I gave you that other name. Well, you gave me the name Jake, too. I don't ever remember going by. I mean, <laughs> she started calling me Jake when I was like three. So I've never known. This is why your mom and I should have exchanged numbers at your birthday party so we could talk about these things. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you. I'm learning stuff. I didn't even know that. Jason. Not only are you not a Jacob, you're not. He's a Jason. Technically a Jake, at least when you were born. So I was, I was in fact, Jason. I mean, I, my name is Jason, technically speaking. But there were every, I don't know if you know this or not, Pat, but in 1972, every third child, Jason. I did not. So it, it literally would be like having a baby in in 2010 in Indianapolis and naming it Peyton, right? Sure. So boy or girl. That's yeah, that is correct. So anyway, there were so many Jasons that my mom started once I got into the the age like 3 uh, preschool and stuff, she started calling me Jake and I've never I I don't ever recall being called Jason. The only person that's ever even tried to do it was Mark Boyle. Well, that's your birth name. That's what's on your birth certificate. That's why I will call oh, you. Oh, he's big on that, isn't he? There's a rabbit hole we could go down for 20 minutes. What's TJ McConnell's real name? Uh, Ty, no, that was Timothy John. Timothy John McConnell. Yes, Ty well, Jacob was Boyle calls him. He calls him that on first reference. So when he checks into the game, he's that. But he's TJ from then on out. I don't understand God, he's though. He's one of a kind. Well, but here's the thing: Victor Oladipo's name isn't Victor, so why doesn't he call him by his name? Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of arbitrary line drawing that goes there. I brought it up to him as well. Uh, there have been other players where he feels like. Let, let me give an example. Um, Jimmer is not to him uh, a name that an adult should call himself by. So he is James. But MJB is. 
<laughs> See that, that there's the line, and and you two and he and knows Mark Boyle could have a field day together. He knows right where that line <laughs> is, and I feel like I know him maybe better than anybody knows him. And I, and I still sometimes have to understand. Okay, the line is here, but it's not here. Right. I think I think the one he struggled with was he he never wanted to call Pooh Richardson by that, and and he actually had an issue with that, and told Mark he would like to be please called that, and so Mark. <laughs> Acceptably well, so relented. And listen, I, I love and respect and enjoy Mark Boyle a great deal, and he's outstanding at what he does. I have always said, if you are saying that you want to call players by the name that is most apt for them as adults, then you should also respect that as adults, it is their determination what they are called, not yours. No argument there. So Shaquille Darius Leonard. Correct. Uh, Pat, before we let you go, any update on the fever search for head coach? No, but I, I think it's something that Lynn Dunn's going to try to get uh, taken care of pretty quickly here. I was going to say, what, is, is there a sensitive timetable on that? I, I think she would like to get it done in October, um, but we'll see. You know, y- you want to get it done in a, in a time frame where she can work with the coach because unlike the NBA, you don't have these big front offices, right? So you have Lynn Dunn, who is the interim general manager, and then you have the head coach who helps with stuff like that. And so I think uh, getting that person in place as soon as possible helps because you've got the women's college season that'll you know tip off around that time, and she wants to have somebody that can help her there. So I would say sooner rather than later, but there's no hard deadline on it. Pat, uh, not to act like I'm some, like, therapist, but um, enjoy your emotions over the next week and a half leading into your wedding, and I hope everything goes swimmingly well on that front, and uh, always enjoy chatting with you. Likewise, it was good to do this in person for once. I know. A little different over the phone. It's rare for us. You know what Pat's going to do in the next two weeks the Pacers like to do in the next two years? Tie the knot. Get a ring. Get a ring. There you go. That makes sense. See how I did that? Hopefully. See how I Pacers maybe a little longer in two years. <laughs> well, yeah. If we want to be that's realistic probably, on that's that. Probably it's a little easier for me to get this ring than, right. than <laughs> yeah, that one. Certainly. That is true, Pat, yes. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, guys. That is Pat Boylan right there live here at the Pacers golf outing, the Brickyard Crossing here. Uh, things get underway, I believe, 1030-ish, I think is when the outing starts. Dan will be here as well from noon to three, uh, so should have some players on with him. All right. Uh, it is time for the pop quiz. And, Mark, speed drum tickets. Correct. Yeah, four pack. Uh, Jake, part of me thought should we do it with somebody here, but I think they've already started their little program, so maybe we should just indeed. go with the caller. Um, so let's open up the phone line three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Pop quiz time next. Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. It's not often I have two donuts and a beer before 10 a.m., but, <laughs> you know. Welcome to fatherhood, Kevin. Fatherhood time. plus working with Jake Query, well, and well, you're going to do some things you never I thought you'd do. you very harsh there. Never thought you'd do. What a beautiful sight, the pagoda right now, Jake. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's pretty nice, isn't it? Pagoda to our left, Brickyard Crossing Golf Course to our right. We are live. I can even see turn three through the trees. Um, We are live here at the Brickyard Crossing for the Pacers Golf Outing. We need a pop quiz caller. And, Mark, I'm now looking at the clock and thinking we need one quickly, don't we? Yeah, we've got less than three minutes. 317-239-1070. 317-239-1070. If worse comes to worse, uh, I don't know. We'll throw Cam on the headset, and he, he can do the pop quiz. Do we not have a caller? We don't. Nobody's called in? Nope. I think uh, I think maybe your mascot talk kind of just drowned it out, to be honest. That seems unfair. I would think that people would love hearing about Fred Bird and the pirate parrot. I've not seen Boomer yet today. 
I mean, I'll, we're giving away a Jiffy Lube prize pack as well as speed drum tickets. Fabulous prizes. Too Shane, hot. what's up? Too hot for Boomer, you think? Hey, how's Probably. it going, guys? Shane, All right, Shane, what's up? We're going to get right to it here, Shane. You ready? Yep, I'm ready. All right, Aaron Judge hit his 60th home run of the season last night for the in the Yankees' win against Pittsburgh. Barry Bonds holds the record for the most home runs in a season with 73, but who holds the American League record for most home runs in a season? He was a Yankee that set a very famous benchmark. Uh, Roger Mayers, 64. Okay. All right, number two, Shane. Who had the most 60 home run seasons in his major league career? Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, or each had two 60 homer seasons? I would say Sosa at three. All right. Shane knows his baseball. Shane, here we go. The Yankees uh, game ended with a Giancarlo Stanton walk-off grand slam in the ninth. He is just the fourth player in Major League history with three walk-off grand slams in his career. Which of the following did not accomplish the feat? Jim Tomei, Vern Stevens, Cy Williams, or Alex Rodriguez? I think A-Rod. All right, let's go to number four here of the 18 active Major League players who have won a league MVP. Two have never won a playoff game in their careers. Both currently play on the same team. Name the team. Phillies, Brewers, White Sox, Angels. Wow. Okay. Uh, Last one. In this day in 1969, Steve O'Neill of the New York Jets recorded the longest punt in NFL history. Now, Scotty wants it within two. I'll say within five. Within five yards, how far was the punt? Uh, 76 yards. Okay. Tom Hadley had a 75-yarder for North Central against Massillon, by the way, in 1990. One of the most impressive high school accomplished feats I've ever seen. Didn't Rigoberto Sanchez boom one that long last year in San Francisco in that rain? That might be right. Okay, Shane, Roger Maris was correct. One of correct. the most indispensable Colts. <laughs> Roger Maris was correct. Uh, Sammy yeah. Sosa, three 60-homer yeah. seasons. Th- number three was the Let's hiccup. Go! Boy, yeah. I got a beer burp. Sorry about that. <laughs> Speaking of hiccups. Yeah. Uh, which of the following did not hit three walk-off Grand Slams in his career? He said A-Rod. Jake, the correct answer. Jim Tomei. And it was a 98-yard from the one to the one. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate it. Mark, how long we got? Like 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Jake, I heard this from a couple Time people you to today. slam that beer. <laughs> a couple people today saying it was refreshing to hear some Pacers chatter with how yeah, the cool. season has started. It's a beautiful day out. Uh, hopefully everybody has a good time here for the Pacers Foundation, and we'll get back to talking uh, probably a little bit of Pacers um, as we lead up to camp, but Colts back again tomorrow, right? Colts practice today.